We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Friday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. Got a great loaded Friday show for you. Tons of college football talk. We're going to start off with chatting with my old radio cohort, Michael Borky. Got into a lot of SEC stuff. We actually started with Mississippi State off the top just because we kind of bounced around Mississippi and then went all over the SEC as well to uh, just kind of react to what's happened. We're a quarter away through the college football season. State has a really fascinating game with LSU this weekend. Both programs are fascinating, and none of it, I'm sure, is – I'm not sure any of it is for great reason. So we started out with State, and then we jumped to Ole Miss and bounced around the SEC. Good 45-minute hour-long conversation or so with Borky. Always love chatting football with him. And then we go to Fresh Cuts with Greg. Um, and make our picks for the week after we had some tough sledding. We had a great week one in the NFL, not so great last week. I did okay. I did pretty good in college, but outside of that. And then we got the Skybox picks as well, which is a great transition to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks, the world's best gambling handicapping website. You know the deal. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. I'm just going to, again, give you the free place today. Uh, that's the best advertising that you could possibly have. Skybox is free plays on top of the ones you're going to hear on the podcast with Greg's picks at the end. They're giving out two free plays, or four, excuse me, two in the NFL, two in college. So, ready? Got a pencil down, pen, paper. NC State plus 10 against Clemson, and then the Texas, Texas Tech over 61. That's NC State plus 10, Texas, Texas Tech over 61. And then in the NFL, the two free plays that are given out this week are Eagles plus four, Tampa Bay, L.A. Rams over 55. So go take that to the bank, cash out, and then go check out skyboxsportspicks.com and buy a season-long package because they went 7-0 and in the NFL in week one. Free plays were profitable last week. They are going to consistently lead you to profit. You don't want to pay the man. You want the, be man, the man to be paying you. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's. University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg needs no introduction. We're going to get to him after we talk to Borky. A lot of uh, Greg was a uh, Greg was a uh, full on Greg on the picks. Told a nice story about hanging out with Marlins man up at uh, a horse showing thing or whatever you do to buy horses in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. So I never know what with Greg. He's always got some wild stories. So hopefully you'll enjoy this show and uh, have a nice relaxing bye weekend before I'm sure all of you sit on pins and needles awaiting Ole Miss Alabama. So here we go. Here's Michael Borky chatting SEC after one quarter of the season. All right, we now welcome on Super Talk producer, 
on-air host really just makes the Sports Talk Mississippi radio show go. The better third of Hey Dad and Richard Cross, Michael Borky joining us again. I think we last talked game week, and so recurring we recurring guest. Yeah, recurring guest. I say that one always. I can't believe I forgot that one as always. But I think I got all the other titles in there. Uh, father, uh, that's always a big one in there. Uh, so got all your titles. You got there. two coming up. Really? Well, you got another yeah. kid on the way. No, no, no. The second birthday. Oh, 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 awesome. Well, congrats to your son. I was about to say, I didn't hear about yeah. this other kid. Like, what, what No, that? no, no. No, not, uh, not yet. Not anytime soon. Uh, bank accounts got to grow before that happens. Um, I'm almost like, am I, should I be surprised that he's two? I don't I feel like well, we knew him from the time he was quite literally born. And uh, I think we might have called you around the time uh, you were on your honeymoon and the little yeah. guy's plans might have. Remember that day we called you during the radio <laughs> show? And I think your your sweet wife answered the phone. Uh, that she was, did. It was Richard, Richard's idea. But we I've I, I, never loved her more than when Richard said, I hope we weren't interrupting anything. And she said, well, if you would have called 15 minutes ago, you would have been. Just a dynamite <laughs> answer. An unflappable <laughs> on live radio, too. So your wife probably has a talent for this as well. She just may not have known it. Yeah, I don't know if I'm surprised that your kids, too, just because I've known, like, from the day he was born. Like, everyone loves to say they grow up so fast, but actually, two feels about right. But, uh, yeah. It does, man. They do grow up fast, though. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's funny. We, uh, we had T-Bob Bear on the, on the radio show today, and the last time that I exchanged DMs with him was on that day because I remember – this is Richard Cross in a nutshell. I remember – the day my son was born, we, we were inducing. So we knew it was going to be that day ahead of time. It wasn't, oh, shit, I, I got to go. It was, okay, on Friday, this is happening. Friday morning, he is asking me to book guests oh, while man. I'm in the – and so, anyway, I'm exchanging DMs with T-Bob. I said, you know, by the way, it's not going to be me that calls you or me on the show – it's going to be somebody else. I'm actually in the hospital right now. My wife has been induced and she's going to go into labor any minute. And then today I was sending him a, a message, especially after his interview. He's great, by the way. Uh, if you're looking for a guest for LSU week, that's the first guy you need to get. I mean, he's just fantastic. But uh, it, it threw me back because it was, I'm in the hospital right now. Can you do a radio interview? And then the next message was, hey, you want to talk state LSU today? That is classic, Richard. I'm sure he just, like, hey, I know, buddy, like, you're in there with your wife, but, like, I'm sure she can only grab one hand and squeeze it in between contractions. Could you maybe type out a DM with the other? Doesn't seem like that much to ask. What are we paying you for? Just unbelievable right, yeah. across there. I don't know if I'd ever heard that story. I wish I'd uh, been able to blast him uh, for that on the air at the time. So, well, and luck luckily for him, it, the, the thing about that, and I don't know if we want to get too deep into like birthing stories, but we got, yeah, we just started the inducement. Pro Give us all the details. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a sight that is, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think if that ever happens to me, I think I'm going to stay above ground on that one. If you're catching one, pick it up when I'm putting down. I'll I tell you what, what, I'll give Richard Cross credit because he has what, seven of them now uh, or something like that. But uh, he told me, he said, watch because one I didn't and I regret it so watch and I did and I'm glad he told me that it's an experience but I'm glad I, I, I had it but in fairness to him the inducement process started at like 6 a.m and he was not born until 5 37 p.m 
So I, I really didn't have a whole lot to do, but the fact that I was working while in the hospital when he was what on the golf course, I don't know, whatever he does. Um, I got reminded of that today, talking to uh, talking to T Bob. T Bob compared Lane Kiffin today, by the way, to uh, a, a guy that, like, you see him in sunglasses, and when he gets closer to you, you realize they're fake Oakleys. And anyway, it was he's just great. So when that comes, you got to get him because uh, he's really fun. But I was reminded of that. I worked on the day my son was born, booking guests while in the hospital. That did happen. Because of Richard Cross. So just remember when Richard gets your kid a birthday present to remind your kid. He's going to listen to this and be like, what the hell are you doing? You're throwing me under the bus. But, you know, it happened. I've got the DMs to prove it. Yeah, just teach your kid every time Richard gets him, you know, present, whatever. I imagine five-year-old birthday and start riding <laughs> ponies and stuff. Just to throw Uncle Richard's present in the trash. You can pick it up out there later. Just make sure he sees it. I want him to kind of just look him in the eye and then drop it in the trash, you know? Like just full-on, like, alpha move, stare at you thank you for this, throw it away, like, right in front of him, you know? Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's, it's all about the messaging. I'm all on board with this. I'll even show your son how to do that while you stare Richard down. So, big weekend for you then. Got the kid's birthday, full slate of football games. As I mentioned, it's kind of weird. So, I'm still freelancing for a couple of different websites throughout the uh, internet sphere, and one of them had me write, like, a um, quarter season reaction thing or whatever, and I was like, shit, I guess it has been a quarter of the season. So I was like, whatever, bye week, perfect time to just kind of rehash things with Borky and see where, where things stand. I, we could go in a number of different directions with this. I guess we'll just start with the most pertinent storylines, and that is the two in-state storylines. Let's go with the team that has a game this week, though. Let's start in Starkville with the Mississippi State Bulldogs. You mentioned, you guys mentioned you had T-Bob Bear on this week. Huge game in Starkville for – is it possible for a game to be huge for the wrong reasons? Like, it, it's, it's like a scaries game for both programs. It's like state – excuse me, LSU minus two and a half, um, as you'll hear later in this podcast on the uh, Fresh Cuts. I don't have much of, like, a feel for how this game is going to go. I just know LSU is immensely more talented, and I would be stunned if State won this game. Um, what is kind of your feeling going into the week? And as you've talked with Haydad and really just kind of taking the temperature of things in Mississippi and amongst the state fan base, what is the feeling about this? Because this feels like it could go wrong quickly. 11 a.m., a lot of shit just really working in the wrong direction. It could. And the, the temperature is, it depends on who you ask. I, I, it's such a roller coaster of, you know, you have some people that are already sharing photoshops of Hugh Freeze and state gear, and we had some fun with that on our Twitter feed today. Some people appreciated the humor. Others, uh, not, not so much. But Shocker there. Uh, you've got some people that want Mike Leach's ass just shipped on right out of town right now because he's terrible. You've got others uh, that are a little bit more rational where it's, you know, hey, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned, but there, there's no reason to talk about termination yet, which is where I fall as well for whatever that's worth. And then you've got the people that, you know, love the Pirate. They're going to win this weekend. They're going to win next weekend. And they're going to beat Ole Miss and everything's going to be great. Uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. But you'll, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at the crowd side. Crowd size, I should say. I mean, you've seen empty stadiums across the country. Ratings are up. Attendance is way, way down. Uh, Tennessee has had a really hard time. Ohio State didn't even sell out the Oregon game. They didn't sell out the Oregon game. There was, it was only like 3,000 short, but still. Last week was, was terrible. So it's not just a state issue. However, 
they're playing LSU at home in the SEC opener, and there will be thousands of empty seats, thousands of them. Uh, so that's a decent indication of how they feel, and it's, uh, it's kind of a wait-and-see approach right now. And I don't blame them. I mean, screw job from the officials aside, Will Rogers threw the football 67 times in the game. 67 times. With 50 on an, completions. With 50 completions. And I know you can't do this, but take away the final couple of drives, and the average depth of target was like four yards. 28% or something like that of his pass attempts go to a guy that is behind the line of scrimmage. It is not just that they're losing football games. It's a boring product. It's the same offense. Sands the LSU game last year, ironically enough. Every post-game analysis of the Mississippi State offense is the same. It's the same. It's teams are rushing three or four and getting home with three or four and putting seven or eight back in coverage. And Rodgers is just not I, – I, Part of it is I don't think he has the arm strength to execute a deep passing game against the better defenses he sees. There's also a confidence issue there as well. Like, there are times where receivers are open enough. Like, they're covered in high school, but open in college, if that makes sense, won't throw the football. And so it's – they'll drop eight in coverage. Nobody is wide open. And so he'll check it down to a running back. He'll get four yards, and then they'll punt the football away. It's just – it is the same offense every single week if you've watched them once you've watched them every time with the exception of the LSU game last year and so you've got some unrest because you hire Mike Leach because of offense if it wasn't for Zach Arnett this would be much uglier than it currently is because they do play they play good defense it's weird right now and it I don't think it's changing anytime soon I think there's a personnel limitation but at some point it's got to look different because they're not testing anybody vertically. It's just drop back, nobody's open, check down, punt the football, and lose games. That's what they've done so far. Yeah, and the whole – so when, when they made these hires, it was – and obviously given the dynamics of the show that we had, and, you know, fair, unfair, whatever, there were three people on the show whose you know, diploma says Ole Miss. And a lot of times people had preconceived notions of that before, the, before it happened. But as carefully as worded as we were about things – it was fairly obvious whether people wanted to admit it or not, that the odds of Lane Kiffin having more immediate success was heavy favorites over Mike Leach having immediate success in Starkville. And I remember one of the day we were talking on the show and like even Haydad agreed with the fact that it's like, you're probably going to have to give this guy three and a half years. But the problem with that is, is there has to be some sort of like benchmarks along the way. Right. In this modern day and age of football, you don't really get to suck for three years anymore. Hell, I mean, look at their last head coach. You don't get to suck for two. And the, hell, that guy won eight games his first year. And I understand. Eight games, six games, beat Ole Miss twice. Yeah. And, and to, complete fairness, that's completely the two win, the number of wins is completely missing context because the amount of talent he had and the way that looked, it wasn't unjustified. And to be honest, it wasn't even more so the way it looked. It was losing the locker room and the sheer lack of discipline. But I guess my point being is, like, you're going to have to hit benchmarks along the way. And he hasn't had a game yet that's like a benchmark game. I guess you could consider NC State one because we thought they were a pretty decent club. And credit to State's defense for really hammering them in the mouth and not letting them – I didn't get to watch a ton of that game, but correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed like NC State – State did not allow them to run the football, and that really threw them off offensively. 
and State's offense kind of did enough to win that. That was where I don't envy you, where they, the games run at the same time. So I was all into Ole Miss game, even though it was Austin P. Didn't watch a ton of State. And so I'm definitely deferring to you in that sense of, other than their La Tech game, I haven't seen a lot of State. The way my TV setup was last week at where I was at watching the afternoon games, I, I didn't see a ton of the Memphis game. I saw bits and pieces. But I guess my overall point here is it was going to be a rougher transition. I, I think there's no place anymore that that's more evident than on the offensive line. There's a specific type of way they play offensive line, and they're getting closer to having the bodies for it. I mean, the cross kid's a stud. Like, he could kind of play – he could play triple option offensive line and it'd still be fine. But the rest of them, they just don't seem to have the personnel that year there yet, excuse me. They definitely don't seem to have a firm grasp of the scheme. But at the same time, as I keep going back to this benchmark arguments, it's winning four five, winning five games maybe this year or six games and beating someone you're not supposed to, certainly losing to a bad Memphis team is not in that blueprint. Like, that's not a good Memphis team. They're not very good offensively. I watched them the first two weeks. It's not one of Memphis's better teams. And I know they had the whole, I don't want to get into the down punt. Yes, they got screwed. I understand they got screwed, but I could argue it also shouldn't have come down to that. I guess I'll open it up to you this way. It's like, you kind of described there. What do you think is the overarching problem? Because they play good defense. You mentioned the offense being the exact same way. But even if the offense is not having immediate success, you should be able to beat Memphis in the Liberty Bowl with that version of them. Like, what is going wrong that you think could be fixed? And what do you think is going wrong that cannot be fixed? I guess maybe the best way to ask that. Yeah, so and you mentioned the Louisiana Tech game. I mean, they had to score 21 fourth-quarter points to come back and win that game. And Louisiana Tech lined up and had a blocked a field goal blocked at the end of the game. They would have lost that one as well. I mean, the NC State win was a really solid win. I think NC State's going to be fine. Uh, Dave Doran, uh, former Ole Miss head coach Dave Doran, uh, has, a, has a pretty good program there. Uh, always solid. I mean, hell, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave Clemson fits this weekend. State won that game. Uh, because of defense and special teams, uh, essentially. They returned the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. And NC State threw an interception on second or third and goal from around the five. Uh, that game should have been much closer than it was, but okay. Zach Arnett's defense. Know that. Yeah, Zach Arnett's defense is good. I mean, he's a good uh, coordinator. I think Aaron Brule can be an all SEC caliber guy. Uh, Crumity's pretty good on the defensive line as well. Like the front six, because they run a three three, is is good. It's very good. They've got a couple of corners uh, that I think can play at the next level. I mean, it's a good defense. They're going to give people fits, but they still couldn't score. They couldn't move the football with any kind of consistency. I think their biggest problem right now is personnel limitations. I think the jury's still out on whether or not this scheme is going to work in the SEC because if you're going to run the air raid the way they do it, you've got to have better quarterback play than what they're getting. And if you and state fans won't like that because they'll say, "Well, look at Rodgers' efficiency numbers." Yeah, that, that's that's great, but it's empty calories because it comes on checkdowns and short passes. His average depth of target is worse in the SEC among guys that have started all three games and played all three games. It, the downfield passing game doesn't exist, and I think it's in part because he is incapable. Uh, there was one throw that he threw to uh, Makai Polk in the Memphis game. He was double covered. He, he was a good addition for them. He's a transfer receiver. He's a good player. Uh, it was a 40-yard pass. It took forever, forever to get there, and it looked like that's kind of all he had. So I, I think you can't 
they're not able to stretch the field because in part they don't have the guy that's really good at doing so. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Watching Matt Corral throw deep balls versus watching him throw deep balls, it, it's two completely different levels of the game even. And I think that really hamstrings them. And to your point, in Leach's defense, Will Rogers is not his quarterback. Like if there's a guy he's going to – if there's a Matt Luke – like, if there's a Matt Corral to Matt Luke or vice versa, you know, they were kind of tied to each other. I know it didn't end up turning out that way completely, although you can make the argument it did because, you know, Luke kind of turned his back on Corral and was fired very shortly after. It didn't turn out well for him. That's not the guy. I don't know if it's the kid from Tech Lubbock, uh, Sawyer Robertson. I don't know enough about him. Seems like it. Really highly rated kid. Really good recruiting yeah. get for Lee Charlie. But to your point, they don't have the personnel – but the problem with that argument, and it's not invalid. It's not invalid. I, I agree with the whole Rodgers thing. I think he's a good player. Um, you know, that kid realistically seems like he's probably a good uh, G5 quarterback. Like, could go tear up LaTeX or something else. But the, the problem with that argument is Lane Kiffin, yes, he inherited some nice pieces offensively, but didn't have overwhelming personnel to the point where it was just a shoe-in. They were going to lead the SEC in rushing or Elijah Moore was going to do what he did. I mean, look at what Rich Rodriguez did with Elijah Moore. He had 800 of the quietest yards I've ever seen. And kind of to put, like, to add on to your point about the Will Rogers, like, well, look at his numbers and completions. The raw numbers in the air raid offense are completely useless. You've got to take a much deeper dive because none of that shit means anything. If you throw it 67 times, you better have three, 400 yards. You're at, one point, at some point, you're going to defy math in the forward pass. Like, it just doesn't mean a whole lot. And so I guess what I'm getting at is the problem with the whole he doesn't have the personnel thing also speaks to why they're struggling right now. Lane Kevin had a great tight end last year. I've used this example in a newsletter a lot. And the tight end was the focal point of the offense. It was the same thing at FAU that Harrison Bryant kid. Well, he won the Mackey Award. He was really good. But they didn't have a tight end that had that skill set this year. Chase Rogers is very effective blocker. He's got decent enough hands, but you're not going to make him a focal point in the passing game. And what did they do? They figured out Drummond's got a really strong foundation, particularly lower body, and they've lined him up at H-back. He scored an H-back touchdown the last two games. They were tailoring their offense to fit their guy's strengths. And the problem with the Leafs thing is the system is the system. And until he gets the pieces in there that fit, it's not going to work at a high level, but that doesn't work in this league. Adaptation is the name of the game at really any yeah. major college football conference, but you could get away with it at an outpost like Tech or at Washington State, where you have that kind of time, I don't think he's going to be able to get that kind of time to be a half decade in and finally have the pieces together, particularly not if, and I know we have a long way before the Egg Bowl, but if he continues to lose to Ole Miss and the way it's shaping up now, that game might not be that close. Again, stranger things have happened. I, I just, I don't buy the whole, we don't make adjustments, the system is the system. I don't think that works in this league. I think there's too much talent. I think there's too much speed. And I think it's even more so than it was a decade ago when he wasn't in the SEC. The best players are coming from California now. Kiffin mentioned it this week. I just don't think that's going to work. I don't think he's going to have time to see that through. What do you think? Uh, the time thing is fascinating. And for whatever it's worth, you mentioned that uh, it's not going to work in this league and, and it worked at a place like Washington State. If you really look at his time at Washington State, in fairness – took over a program that wasn't in good shape. He went three and nine twice in his first three years, finished his time at Washington State with a 500 conference record. It's in the Pac-12. Yeah, it's kind of a bottom feeder, 
But he was 36 and 36 in Pac-12 games uh, since uh, being at Washington State. And on top of that, uh, Washington beat Washington State one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in a row. Seven times in a row. You can't do that at Mississippi State. I don't think he you has cannot time to lose three and to nine Ole Miss. Doesn't work either, will he? Like I know he did, didn't go three and nine, but if he had gone three and nine, three and nine, he doesn't get a third year here, does he? That's the the most interesting part in all of this is if it craters, and that's that's possible. I don't think it completely will. They still have Vanderbilt on the schedule. They have. Tennessee Tech, I think it is an FCS school on the schedule still. They get Kentucky at home. I mean, hell, they could beat LSU this weekend. I know LSU is immensely more talented, but they don't run the football well. It could get weird. I I don't know. I'm not going to rule that out, I guess is what I'm saying. It's a small line for a reason. But I think John Cohen is kind of tied to Mike Leach. Uh, There is some background things, influential boosters, university leadership. They're real tight. Um, and some people there weight baseball far far heavier than they honestly should. Like a baseball national championship and, fi- and hiring the coach that won that national championship is weighted heavier than it should be for some people there. But I don't think you can – you should not be allowed to hire a third football coach if the first two didn't work. Agree. Who gets you a third be. coach? Who gets a third try? I can't – I mean, I'm sure there's someone – Nobody happened, should. It doesn't really happen. No, and I've been told that, well, it's different. You know, he's got all kinds of support from university leadership and influential boosters and all that. I just, maybe, but lose to Ole Miss again and tell me that that support is still there. And then have to fire this guy because he keeps losing to Ole Miss and isn't winning enough fast enough because they've set the precedent now that beating Ole Miss and going to bowl games apparently is not good enough anymore. So how long do you wait until that happens? It's so fascinating. Um and I'm especially interested in how this recruiting situation goes because nobody in the Pac-12 recruits well, really, with the exception of what, Oregon and Southern Cal? That's really it. Washington does okay. But the rest of the league is kind of what Washington State is in terms of recruiting. They did a pretty good job last year. Top 25 class, that's good in a COVID year. But, but what's going to happen? when everybody else in the SEC is recruiting higher and higher, and especially now Ole Miss is doing much better in the state of Mississippi than a lot of people expected them to. And, I mean, there's a chance that another player that's committed to state will flip to Ole Miss here soon that plays defense. I mean, there is so much working against him right now that the patience that Washington State afforded him, I don't know if he has that kind of patience here. I'm glad you brought up the recruiting aspect of it because I was actually at uh, Austin, not Austin, excuse me, South Lake Carroll last week, the Quinn Ewers school. And I was just bored because it was funny. It's funny covering Texas high school football. Their backups, pretty decent sized prospect. And then like he's throwing to this tight end. I'm like, oh, what's this kid? Well, tight ends going to Boston College. Throwing another kid. I was like, what's this kid? Oh, he's going to A&M. Like four of their seven skill players are have a division one offers. So I'm just combing through the 247 rankings, just kind of bored. And I stumble on the Mississippi, the Mississippi State rankings, so the top 10 in Mississippi. I don't know. I'm sure you've looked at this, but it's worse than I thought. Number one kid, the Columbia, Mississippi kid, Alabama. Xavier Harris, Ole Miss commit. Branson Robinson, number three, Georgia. Four, Kamari Rogers, Miami. Five, Marquez Dorch, Ole Miss. Byron Hurst, Ole Miss, six. Travion Williams, seven, Florida State. Aaron Bryant, seven, Tech, or excuse me, eight, Texas. Nine, Larry Simmons, Ole Miss. Ten, Stone Blanton, 
State's favored by him in the crystal ball right now, but he took a visit to Ole Miss. I'm not going to pretend to be a recruiting expert. I, I'm well documented on this podcast. I'm not. Zero of the top 10 kids in the state of Mississippi are currently committed to Mississippi State. Long way to go. A lot of those out-of-state kids end up staying home. Not a lot. That's probably not fair. There's usually a kid or two that decides to stay home. I would bank maybe on the Miami kid just based off past track record. I don't know anything about the situation. Yeah, and, Again, and according to, uh, to your guy, Zach Berry, uh, they are still strongly after uh, Rogers, the, the Miami commit you mentioned. I mean, everybody on that list will miss is still recruiting, basically, except for the one that went to Texas, I think. And then I, I've I heard know. that Branson Robinson kid is just not interested to go in in-state. The Germantown oh, running back, yeah, no shot. No, nobody That's, has a shot in here with him. That's about all my recruiting knowledge. But point being, zero of those kids are currently committed to state. Yes, will it finish that? Will it finish that way? I doubt it. But man, that's not good. And so, like, if you're trying to sell, like, we're getting the pieces in place, there's not a whole lot he can sell. And I guess to kind of tie that into the game this week, because I think we did a pretty good job of covering the big picture of Leach, and that's something we got at a little bit last time. Yeah. These it, games, it's kind of the same. I mean, it's kind of the same, honestly, from, from last time we talked about it. Not much has changed. It's still – there's two, There's more questions than answers. Uh, they should have lost to Louisiana Tech, and they did lose to not a good Memphis team. I mean, that, that's real. And if you don't – but my, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, if you don't have a strong showing this week, you're going to College Station, you have a bye week, and then Alabama's coming to Starkville. Like, if, if State – if LSU blows the doors off of them this week. Is there, I mean, there's an argument to be made. You don't have a game within single digits again until you go to Nashville and play Vanderbilt. And you really want to go to Vanderbilt? I think they'll win the game. Don't get me wrong. I've watched enough Vanderbilt to know they're just not talented. They could keep it close for a half, but they just don't have the talent or depth. But do you really want to go there, losers of three in a row and where you just gotten spanked? And so this I mean, is a Vanderbilt crucial had game. a lead in the second half, if I remember correctly, against them. State only beat them by a touchdown a year ago in Starkville. That is correct, um, and took quite a few. I think that kid for who I actually like, okay, the poor kid, the freshman for Vanderbilt, whose name I'm blanking on, whatever the quarterback's name is, threw like four picks. But yeah, Ken Seals. Yeah, Ken Seals. If you don't have a good showing against LSU, it could get really bad over the course of October. And so that's what makes this such a massive game, where the other side of it, since we're kind of bouncing around the SEC here, I mean – does Ed see Sunday if they go to lose to this state team? Like, what, what does that look like? I think he probably does. That's a little dramatic. But the loser of this game has a really, really tough sledding ahead. And that's what makes it so fascinating. And the fact that it's 11 a.m. is perfect. How do you see this going? So, yeah, I, I'm with – especially the Orgeron thing. It depends on how they're going to want to go about firing him. If, if LSU loses on Saturday, which, again, I think is entirely possible um, – He'll see Sunday, and he'll see the next week and the next week, I think. But that will be the thing you point to as, okay, it's over. Like, that was the day where everybody knew it was over. How do they want to fire him, though? Do they want to fire him and pay a buyout? Or do they want to use NCAA Title IX stuff to fire him? Because if that's the case, can you really get away with that if you do it after they lose a couple of football games? Like, there is – Unless they can manufacture something new they just discovered that led them to fire with cause and avoid paying his buyout. I mean, I have a feeling he'll, he'll coach to the end of the season regardless because if that's the route they're going to take, they can't just do it after you lose to Mississippi State, right? I mean, it, it, isn't that the most logical 
situation if that's the route they're going to go. They have cause. It's not like Nebraska where it's kind of not manufactured, but it's kind of not enough, honestly. This is, you know, player allegedly verbally assaulting an employee at the Superdome. This is former player handing cash on live television on the field. This is hospital funneling money, all that stuff. I mean, Ordron's tied up in some of this, and that's enough. He's, that's he got the route out as, they a, as a co-defendant in that Title IX lawsuit this summer. Yeah, so they have enough if that's the route they want to take. But can you say, we're firing him because of this stuff in the middle of a football season that's not going well? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that part up because, honest to God, and I have no sort of – educated opinion on this like I have no way that anyone I could talk to that would kind of lead me in some sort of educated direction so this is purely just me speculating but man just reading the tea leaves of how these situations go what are the odds they actually pay him a buyout Jeremy Pruitt got fired for a cause and I know that was quote unquote new and it was they were very open about the fact not open but it was very obvious. They, they were very blatant about the fact that, like, yes, this is NCAA stuff is bad, but we just don't want to pay this incompetent coach's buyout. They Credit to Tennessee for all their dysfunction. They saw this is going nowhere. Because remember the year before, they were kind of one of the hotter stories in college football. They beat up on a bunch of bad teams. Clay Travis loved pumping that longest winning streak in the nation stat, beat Indiana on kind of a fluke, whatever bowl that was. But they identified this guy's not going anywhere, and we got to get him the hell out of here. And they used that as the out to save themselves some money. Credit to them for doing that. The thing I never thought about that you talked about is like the fact is none of this is new. Does that matter? I have no idea. Would it help if the NCAA made some sort of movement, whether it's a notice of allegations that becomes public? Maybe they have that. They can leak it. I don't know. I don't know anything about this LSU situation. Just at the end of the day, using my common sense, if Jeremy Pruitt was not awarded his buyout, they got more than enough. Pick your scandal. Like I, I don't think yeah. they're paying Ed a buyout. But the fact that, like, if they lose this game, again, you lose to this version of the Mississippi State team, this is stupid to say. But, I mean, you get Auburn and Kentucky at Lexington. That's a tough game. I think Kentucky's pretty good. Auburn hasn't won at LSU since, like, 99 or some crazy-ass stat. The Auburn guy we had on preseason dropped that on me, and I couldn't believe it, honestly. It's 99. If they can beat Auburn and Kentucky and rebound, Ed, I don't think they'll beat Florida, but Ed's a hell of a motivator and kind of win one for the Gipper thing. It's not unheard of. I wouldn't bet on them to do it, particularly if you lose the state. I would guess I'm just arguing that LSU's path forward from an Ed O standpoint is slightly easier than state if they lose this game to where state loses. It's two more losses down the pipe and then the scariest game of the century against Vanderbilt. This is a huge game, and it's an interesting dynamic because – LSU's looked like shit. They looked a little better last week against Central Michigan. Max Johnson looked a little more confident, uh, competent, I should say, and confident. Week one always produces weird results. Like, at the same time, if LSU wins this game and wins four in a row and then maybe upsets Florida, would you be totally stunned? Because it's a top seven roster no. in terms of talent. And they, as much as everyone loves to dump on LSU and kind of some of their homer media at times, you know, projecting 10 wins no matter what, Week one does produce weird results, and there's a lot of talent there. And if you told me it took two weeks to come together and then they turned out to be okay, I'm not stunned by that either, which makes this all the more fascinating. What do you think happens? I guess that's the best way to put this one to bed. What do you think happens Saturday? Well, especially with two rookie coordinators kind of learning on the job as well. I mean, that, that's something that I 
assume can take a few weeks to get acclimated, and that's not unheard of. I mean, I think LSU is going to win uh, because I did just watch Mississippi State lose to Memphis and not a very good Memphis team, and I watched them struggle with Louisiana Tech, and they couldn't move the football on NC State. They did not win that game because of offense. They did it because of defense and special teams. I wouldn't be surprised if it's close, though. LSU struggles to run the football a little bit. Uh, like I said before, State's good in the front six. Pretty solid defensively. Very similar to a year ago. They lost, I mean, Kobe Jones on the defensive line. They lost Errol Thompson, uh, both of which were invited to camps. I, I don't think either one of them made a 53. I could be wrong. But either way, lost solid players on defense and looked to be pretty salty there. It could be close. But I don't envision a scenario in which Mississippi State is scoring when they couldn't move the football on far less talented defenses, Derek Stingley or no Derek Stingley, who is probably going to miss this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if he missed the rest of the season. So I think they're going to win. What's the deal with that? I missed that today while I was slaving away at the office. I saw he's out, but he got hurt in practice. What are they doing on a Thursday? Is Ed scrimmaging during rain delays again? What's the deal with that? He's got snakes in his head again. Uh, He hurt himself in camp, and I think it's lingering. And I wouldn't be surprised also if it's – you know, I could play, but I got a payday, so I'm not gonna. Type of deal. Yeah, like I'm not playing until I'm 110% instead of 75%, because if I just make it to the end of the season, I'm probably a first-round pick. So, good luck, boys. But um, I'm with you. I mean, you could see LSU losing this weekend, losing to Auburn and Kentucky. I mean, shoot, you can see LSU losing the next five games. If they lost the next five games, would you be shocked? I wouldn't. No. But I also, I would be slightly, I guess, slightly more shocked, but shock's not the right word. I'd be slightly more surprised if they won all five, but not stunned either, I guess is what right. I'm saying. I mean, they, they are all winnable football games and all losable uh, football games. The problem with State is if they do lose like I think they will this weekend, I mean, they've got four in a row, or it will be four in a row after Alabama. Kentucky's definitely not a gimme, and they go to Arkansas and Auburn in back-to-back weeks later on this season as well. It could, I mean, yeah. It could really, really fall off quickly. And I think what I would be afraid of, I think I said this to you last time we spoke. Maybe I didn't. But my fear for them would not necessarily be losing games. Of course, that's bad. But it would be slipping into irrelevancy. Because you can lose games and get your program back when you make a change and get everybody all excited about it again. But a change is not coming after this year. It's not coming. They couldn't afford it even if they wanted to. Mike Leach is getting paid $5 million a year right now. That was his first contract at State, $5 million a year. I don't think they can afford to fire him, even if they wanted to. And on top of that, going two and out and then two and out, again, good luck getting an ideal candidate anyway. You're either going to have to pay too much to get somebody that's not good enough, or you're not getting a great candidate. My fear, if I was a State fan, would be irrelevancy, more so than just losing games down the stretch of this season. They might become an afterthought quickly. The Mike Leach story is not interesting right now. It's really not. not. And and like Dyke, you mentioned, and part isn't that part of what you signed up for hiring Leach? Like he's never been there where he was consistent eight, nine, like a nine, ten game winner, which is I know not realistic per se at both Mississippi schools, you know, unless you hire the like I help make a hell of a hire. But like that to me, that's part of what you signed up for doing this air raid experiment. But I agree wholeheartedly. And I guess the last thought on the game was I agree. I think. I don't think LSU is going to be able to run the ball. So I think if LSU wins this game, it's Max Johnson is close to as good as you thought. Cause if that kid ends up pooping his pants, like state probably wins the game. Cause I don't think they'll be able to run the ball on him. but if Johnson's pretty good, I think 
LSU probably wins the game. So I'm fascinated with Allen for a number of different reasons. I haven't gotten to dive into a lot of state after the first game, and I plan to kind of sit down somewhere and watch most all of that game if I can. Well, I will. I'll watch all of that game and really kind of just see what how that goes because it's tough sledding forever loses as we just outlined. Bringing it back in towards our listeners' neck of the woods, Ole Miss, 3-0, and haven't played anyone per se, if that's like the general message board blanket statement you want to make. Although nobody. Yeah, Louisville beats UCF. Like, you know, that was kind of a Gus specialty. You, you kind of pissed down your leg at Louisville in a game you probably yeah. should have won with relative ease. I don't think Louisville's terrible. I don't think they're good. They're going to be one of the weaker seven to eight win teams at the end of the year if they end up playing that well. But a big win, credit to them, whatever. The kid from Valdosta in title, title Town, which I just finished up watching, makes the big pick six towards the end. Point being, Ole Miss has checked, up, checked every box possible, right? They look faster on defense. They populate the football better. Man, Chance Campbell. I mean, Weldon and I could not talk about that guy enough. Like, the difference he's made just single-handedly for this Ole Miss defense, his ability to change directions and his ability to close the gap. Like, the, the Michael Pratt. Ole Miss got good exterior pressure early in the game, and that Pratt kid was not comfortable. And he's a capable runner. And every time he escaped the pocket, he'd get a yard and a half past the line of scrimmage, and Chance Campbell was there. Every single time, it seemed like. So they've yeah. been better defensively. They've been better. I, it's, I think they've been better than they were last year offensively. And that's even, like even without Elijah Moore, they've looked flawless. You're going to get the ultimate test off the bat. I'll just leave something open ended to start. What have you thought of Ole Miss so far? I think they've checked every box, but I'm still somewhat in wait and see mode. Yeah. Going into the season, I expected them to win these first three games in a fashion that they did I thought they were better than Louisville and that they were going to win the game with relative ease obviously the same thing for Austin P and even going into Tulane you know our listeners were, were scared of Tulane oh they can score yeah Tulane can beat Ole Miss they're better than Louisville and I said no no they're not if Ole Miss is who we think they are they're going to win this game comfortably I expected them to be three and zero at this point with three relatively comfortable wins I, I'd be lying if I said I expected it to look like this um, what is so impressive about what they've done so far is how, how comfortable everybody looks. Yep. Every person, especially defensively, we'll start with that. But Matt Corral has made, knock on wood, Ole Miss fans listening to this, I guess all of you are, he's made one very important stride. And if it sticks, he's going to be everything you think he is. Um, but defensively, I still think they're going to get scored on by people like Alabama. Uh, you know, they're, they're better. They're clearly better. They've got better personnel. Guys that have been there, Katie Hill, Bivens, look like they're physically in better shape than they were a year ago. Uh, but running that 3-2-6 is – I think they're going to get run on a little bit. They still have depth issues. There's some talent issues at a couple of spots. But they are clearly very, very comfortable with what they're doing. I mean, there was, what, one blown assignment in the two-lane game that led to a touchdown. There was a pick play that they gave up another touchdown on and the fumble that led to a short field. Louisville didn't start scoring until late when they were gassed and probably let up. I mean, this is a team that I have not noticed with my untrained eye very many blown assignments, which on top of the talent deficiency last year, they weren't great at, at angles and tackling and they blew coverages and assignments all the time, all the time last year. They weren't good at things that didn't, that talent 
weren't required to be good at. They were bad at everything. And that hasn't happened uh, so far this year. It eventually will. They're going to get scored on, but they are clearly, clearly better. And Chance Campbell especially. Um, I, I posed a question on the show today. When is the last time Ole Miss has had such a complete linebacker? A guy that obviously reads well and, and knows his assignments well and tackles well and – I mean – the, the speed, it's not just that he knows where he's supposed to be and can tackle with decent form when he gets there. It's how fast he gets there. They had him spying Malik Cunningham. Malik Cunningham's a, a, a very, very good athlete who is fast and dynamic in space. And when Campbell was spying him and, and Cunningham would break contain or whatever, Campbell was making plays. The kid, the kid wasn't effective running when, it, when he was matched up on Chance Campbell. How Maryland let that guy go, I, I, I'm mind blown by that fact. But Ole Miss has not had a complete linebacker like him since Patrick Willis? Yeah, I, I'd like to see a little more just in terms of like – Who? Like, yeah. I want to see him do it against good offense. I'm not, again, I just spent, you know, 10 minutes having a uh, Chance Campbell chasm. I'm not saying it's like discounting, but I was, I, the reason I said that I had the 14 roster pulled up Sidarius so Bryant, pretty good linebacker. Then mm -hmm. uh, older DT Shackelford off a couple of knee injuries uh, at middle linebacker there. Demarcus Gates played on some bad defenses, but he was a really good player. Keith Lewis was pretty good. So I'm curious to see if he extends himself beyond those guys. And granted, for a couple of those teams, I wasn't in college. The 2014 team, I was a sophomore. To say I was paying attention at the level I am now in terms of like you know, trying to analyze and formulate educated opinions on things, you know, I just wasn't. I mean, I was 19 years old for part of that. So I think he's in that neighborhood, to your point, but has a chance to separate himself into some really rarefied air to where you're talking about, like, when's the last time they had someone? You know, if he continues to play at this level, it's like, I don't know when the last time they've had someone. Patrick Willis may end up being the comp. Who, who the hell knows? I'd, I'm sure we're missing someone through the years, but the point is still well stated. They haven't had that kind of speed and that kind of capability there. And to add on to the fact that it's like Mark Robinson's appeared pretty capable. And then like you're kind of rotating him and Lakia Henry. That's not a terrible place to be. I think the biggest indicator of how good they've gotten or how much better they've gotten defensively, particularly at linebackers, I don't think Momo Sonogo's played in the first half of a game this year. And he was kind of the guy you were writing stories about two and three years ago just because they didn't have anyone else. And at least he was around the football all the time. So they checked every box. They look good defensively. The three-two-six was a pretty smart move because it suits what they do well. You know, I was almost shocked that Louisville – not Louisville, excuse me. Tulane ran that one, like – it's not a bubble screen, but whatever, that quick screen out to the perimeter and scored on it. That was the first time, I swear, I've seen a team run a screen against Ole Miss and then not meet them at the line of scrimmage. Some of us, you're expecting Otis Reese or someone to blow it up two yards in. And, like, yeah. to expect anything from an Ole Miss defense like that is kind of telling – but you're right. It's the explosive plays. Yeah, they all came on three explosive plays last week. Well, in 2018, they allowed 12 explosive plays to that Tulane team, and Tulane scores to make it 44-35 or some shit in the fourth quarter. And you're like, how is this game not put to bed yet? So I think that's the biggest difference. Does it hold up against an Alabama? I saw the early line on that this week was 17. That was shocking to me. But Florida was also a 15-point line in the swamp. So – 
whatever. I don't know. I think it's still early in the year. I don't think Vegas knows what to do with Alabama. What did you make of that line, and what shot do you give them next weekend? Because I give them more of a puncher's chance. I really do think they have a shot. I wouldn't bank on them winning the game, but I think it's more than a puncher's chance to win the game. Are we sure that's not like a carryover from the preseason, or is that them getting ahead of this? Uh, 17 just seems huge. Huge. You could tease it was, it, it, wasn't a seven, it wasn't a 17-point spread last year when Ole Miss's defense couldn't stop Madison Central High School. Yeah, yeah I different mean, venues, but, but still. Um, no, I, I'm baffled by that. And, and, you know, maybe I'm missing something. Obviously, the people at DraftKings are making a ton of money, so it jokes on me, but th- that seems like easy money right now. And the key is the, the thing that Matt Corral has, has seemingly really changed about his game. He's still really dynamic. He's still got the great deep ball. He's running a little bit more. Uh, you would love for him to slide a little bit more as well. Like, you don't need to be taking hits in the third quarter against Tulane. Love your passion, but you got more important games ahead you want to be healthy for. Um, so far, there's maybe one or two throws in three games that I thought trying to fit in, into a window that doesn't exist. And one of them was a first down catch to Dontario Drummond where he made the most absurd tip of the football catch ever. The placement of that football is hard to fathom. And so even when it was a little risky, it was still that ball was put where only his receiver could catch it and literally nobody else. It was a perfectly placed football. He has not forced anything at all. And he doesn't have to, and he never will have to. They've got enough playmakers and the scheme is good enough and he's talented enough to where even in games that he played well last year, you could look at a handful of throws a game where you thought that wasn't there. And he tried to force it into a window where it was. He hadn't done that yet. And if he continues not to do that, um, he's getting invited to New York. May not win because they may not win enough games, but he's going. And some NFL team is going to mortgage their future on him. And the pick next to his name will be a single digit. I don't know which one, but it will be a single digit. I mean, that's, that's the only thing separating him from being really, really good, high level, late first round to getting invited to New York, being a top 10 pick in the draft, possibly the first quarterback taken, is limiting mistakes. And so far, that's all he's done. I mean, Kiffin has said it multiple times in press conferences. Defenses are giving them underneath. They're take, they've tried. Tulane couldn't. They tried to take away Sanders over the top. Louisville, that's why Drummond went off so much because they were like, we're going to make you throw it six times instead of just one to score on us taking away Braylon Sanders, and Crowell never forced anything. He stayed in the pocket, read his progressions, checked it down sometimes, ran sometimes, or found the not score from far option every time. And that, if that's him always, if that's him this weekend Ole Miss, or next weekend, Ole Miss has a great chance to win the game, and they'll have a great chance to win every single game they play. That was the only thing stopping Ole Miss, obviously, from – Shoot. I mean, they, they probably aren't beating Alabama regardless, but they beat Arkansas, they beat LSU, they beat Auburn. They have eight wins last year in a 10-game season with SEC only plus Indiana, and that's all he has to do. If that's him this year, I mean, it's a Sugar Bowl team. Yeah, and the other aspect that Corral, like you mentioned, I mean, I think he nailed it in terms of not forcing it in the decision-making aspect of it. Like, I think last year what you saw from Corral was the freakish arm talent that was talked about through the recruiting process a lot, kind of molded by competent coaching. 
decision-making still wasn't always there. I mean, the Arkansas game, again, I've said this ad nauseum. I'm sure I told you this three times alone the last time we did a podcast, but like give them a little bit of past the LSU game, reigning shorthanded, trying to make shit happen. Five interceptions, still not great, whatever. Still should have won the game too. This year, yeah, exactly. This year, the biggest thing, aside from the decision-making, is just the way he looks. Like, I know Kiffin brought up the thing. Like, the, the game is at a I, snail's pace, man. That's what it looks like to him. He is completely unflappable to where if he does make a bad decision early on in the Alabama game, I, I don't believe that's going to turn into three turnovers or four turnovers. I just think he's has this – the you know, he hadn't had the same coordinator or whatever the hell it is all the way back to 10th grade of high school. He had never had any sort of stability or continuity around him. And now he's in the second year of the system with two really smart coaches, one that knows how to develop quarterbacks and another that's a great play caller. And both of them share some of those traits. They kind of bleed into each other. And so I think on top of the decision-making you're seeing this year, it's just the sheer confidence and unflappable nature that he has. And I think he had that as a recruit at times, too much so to where it wasn't warranted. And I think sometimes that got him in a little bit of trouble in terms of just the way he was perceived. And now it's completely warranted and he looks as confident as ever. I mean, I hate to do this because it's a lazy comparison, but I think there's some merit to it in terms of just the confidence. It reminds you a lot of Joe Burrow two years ago. I remember listening to Joe Burrow at the end of the year after he won the Heisman on Pardon My Take, where they asked him like the moment he knew. And he was like, yeah, after we threw for like 400 yards and beat Texas, I figured we'd just win every game left on the schedule. And I know he was probably kind of playing into the character a little bit, but it's that kind of just sheer confidence of like, hell yeah, we're good as shit. You heard it from Elioro this week. Like, some people have turned that into bullet, bulletin board material, whatever, but he's just saying, like, you know, we're good enough to where I don't think – I think the only people that can beat us is ourselves. I think Corral exudes that to other people within this offense. So, I think that's been the biggest thing so far this year. I go back and forth on this Alabama game, though, because, one, Alabama looked human. I think Weldon described it pretty well. Alabama still has more talent than anyone in the country, but it's not the ready-made going to be – a first round pick at six positions this draft. They're a little bit younger yeah. in some areas, experienced in areas where they aren't younger. And so that's a tougher combination. Ole Miss getting Alabama in November, I think would actually be a much different task or test than getting them in September. I know Kevin doesn't want to have the bye week, but you get them when you're fully healthy. You get them when they're still a bit inexperienced. So I think that's beneficial for Ole Miss they can't afford to have injuries on defense. I just don't know what to make of it. I, the line, Vegas doesn't normally lie, but the, no way that Florida game was ever a 15-point line as bad as Emory Jones was early in the game. I still don't think Vegas knows what Alabama is because all the unknown. Hell, Bryce Young's played three games, will have played four by then. I just have a hard time seeing that as an uncompetitive game. As you mentioned last year, they had one of the first defenses of the last half decade, and that's a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. I never thought for a second Ole Miss was winning that game because they were not stopping Alabama. But if Ole Miss gets two stops a half against Alabama, don't they win the game? I mean, is that insane to say? I don't think it's insane to say. The, the two things that I am most uh, curious about when it comes to this game, uh, like you mentioned, uh, first is what would, how does Corral handle a possible early mistake or early – adversity because they haven't really had it yet you know they, they didn't even have it last year even in the close games the the only time he made early mistakes is they kind of uh, unraveled so what will he do if there is some kind of a, an early uh, mistake in the game is is number one but most especially 
Florida had Alabama gassed in the second half. Alabama was a tired football team. You could see it. And Florida did it. They were running the football, and their tempo was not near what Ole Miss does at times. I mean, do you think that Ole Miss could potentially do the same thing with how fast they are and how exploitative – is that a word? How they exploit mismatches that they get. Do you think that – I mean, you know Kiffin and Libby are watching that film thinking, shit, if if they can do that with Emory Jones, we can sure do that with Matt Corral, right? And play faster while doing it. Anything to work on the podcast, by the way. Apparently I've been saying mistaking instead of mistaking. I got shit on the board for that the other week. I'm just making up shit as we go. So whatever's a word if you want it to be. But but I watched that and I thought, you know, I think Ole Miss is more talented than Florida offensively. Their offense, uh, Ole Miss up front hasn't been great. You assume they're going to be healthy now with uh, with the bye week and Umana did play against Tulane. So assuming he's healthy, I mean, I was watching that game, especially in the second half, and I thought, that is an Alabama team that's tired. And if that's an Alabama team that is tired playing Florida, then they sure as hell are going to be tired playing this Ole Miss offense. Agreed. And again, it's it's like talking yourself against Vegas, but I'm just not sure what to make of it in September. Well, I'm curious to so. see what the other odds makers have out. Because doesn't that finish inside 14? I know lines don't move that many points, but that's I – mean, We had listeners I, I ask us this week, and, and mine was like, ah, 10 to 12, I think would, would be about right. Because, you, of course, you have the, the, the auto – Everybody bets on Alabama to cover no matter what. I mean, so they do factor that in. It is in Tuscaloosa. I mean, Corral hasn't played in front of a crowd in two years. Uh, the last crowd he played in front of was in Starkville uh, with Matt Lucas, his head coach. So, you know, maybe they factor that in. But 17, you know, maybe it's, it's Homer uh, opinion or not. I, I cannot envision a scenario in which this offense gets beat by 17 points regardless of what the other side of the ball does. Because that didn't happen to them a year ago when they were dramatically worse. Couldn't agree more. I guess the case, so if you're, if you're making the case to where Alabama kind of lobs a turd in the Ole Miss offense punch bowl, for the lack of a better metaphor, it's that they really come at him off the edge. Like this Ole Miss offensive line is shaky is probably a little too strong of a word. But they haven't been great in some parts. Uman is still getting kind of acclimated to, I think, both this pace and kind of the cadence that comes with this offense. But at the same time, as Weldon pointed out, it's like – Weldon was like, I kind of saw that kind of percolating through the internet sphere. And, like, yeah, he's had some penalties and some you know, minimal questionable snaps. But he hasn't been, like, a problem. Like, I think there's a level you get to where you have an offensive lineman that's an issue. Uman is not an issue – He's just maybe been slightly a weak link as he kind of gets acclimated. He was also out of football for two years almost in terms of game action with an injury and then the weird shit last year or the injury and then not playing since 2019. But you get my point. The, the, I guess the case of Ole Miss being slowed down is if it turns out maybe you have a tackle injury or Jeremy James and, and I'm blanking broker on the other side, like yeah. don't serve up and like, you know, Corral gets sacked a couple times early. Is that like, is, could you see that happening? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how Ole Miss could still score 30 something points. Like if you give them a time to adjust, I don't think they need to be playing behind in this game. Um, particularly with Alabama's ability to run the football on them later on, but that's probably the case that it gets to me, but I'm with you. Like I, I, they scored 48 points last year with 
an offense that wasn't performing as well, a quarterback that didn't make as good of decisions and a defense that was horrible. Like how that equates to a 17 point game barring three picks, I don't really know. So and we'll you see, know, but you know, Kiffin yeah. and Lebby, I mean, they do it every week. I, I, we've had people ask, and it, it, it kind of made me laugh. We had somebody ask if uh, they had been hiding John Rice Plumley, and, you know, no, they, they have not. Um, he's not playing because he's a quarterback converted to wide receiver, and they have wide receivers on the team who are more prepared. Anyway, uh, but there are things that Alabama will see that they have not seen on film yet. That's what they do basically every week. They didn't really have to against Tulane. And you could tell early in that game, because it was monsooning and the ground was wet, Ole Miss couldn't do everything they wanted to offensively anyway. They had to kind of adjust on the fly to the conditions. I mean, you look at the first couple of throws from Corral, and he just kind of like kind of babied the ball to make sure he could keep the grip on it through the entire throwing motion. Um, But yes, you are going to see things just like a year ago that you have not seen yet from this team. They're, they are going to do things, whether it be the way they get somebody like Ely the ball or, or just simple, I mean, route trees that Alabama hasn't seen or whatever the case may be. They did it every week last year. I'm excited to see what they've got prepared, especially with a little bit of extra time for whatever it's worth. But they scheme to their opponent as good as anybody in college football, probably better than anybody in college football. So – I did a it, one of these with somebody that covers Alabama a couple days ago, just, you know, overarching Ole Miss, what do you think, and all that. Well, what has Ole Miss shown so far that Alabama can, can try to stop? And it's like, I don't know what they're gonna, going to show Alabama. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's not going to be all brand new, but they will find something on film and exploit it in a way that you have not seen yet. That's why they're so successful. Agree. And that kind of gets back to the adjustments, lack of adjustment, scheming to your strengths and stuff. And the other part of that is, I know you were joking about the Plumbee thing, and I don't necessarily agree to that take. Like, the, like I don't, that's ridiculous to me, too. I agree with you in that sense. But at the same time, if they came out on Saturday and they had four gadget plays for Plumbee and he scores on one of them, are you completely stunned? Oh, no. Because I'm not uh-uh. stunned by anything they pull out at this point is what's crazy to no. me. And, hell, regardless of how this game turns out, they're not going to face a team that has the overall talent that Alabama has the rest of the year. And so even if they, you know, if they lose the game, but they, you know, they're not ready for the moment, blah, 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 whatever. Ole Miss loses by 10 points. Who, this is probably a good transition to get out of Ole Miss and go around the SEC before we get out of here. Who else are they on paper going to lose to? Honest to God, if you take away the Alabama game, you look at the rest of Ole Miss's schedule – to me, the toughest game they'll have is going to Jordan-Hare and playing Auburn on the road because that's a defense that's, I think, better than we probably thought and a team that knows exactly who they are running the football. And we haven't seen Ole Miss tested yet against running the ball. But I would be – if I were an Ole Miss fan, I would be way more worried about going – again, Alabama behind us, so whatever happens. I would be more worried about going to Jordan-Hare than anything else left on the schedule because you get A&M and LSU at home. What else are you worried about? Yeah, I, I do hate that it's nine consecutive games without a bye, although Brutal. Um, Liberty is not what some people think they are, and Ole Miss will be able to take – I don't want to say a break, but it's not as intense as playing SEC West teams. It, it, I think it, it'll look an awful lot like Tulane. You've got to show up and play. 
but it's not going to be as demanding as Arkansas or Auburn, like you said, for example. But let's pretend for a second that they go to Tuscaloosa, play well, play close, but lose the game. Think they'll be favored in the rest of them? Yeah, I could see them as a, depending on Auburn, how Auburn turns out. I saw like according. It could to be FBI, like a close pick them one dog. or two line. And, yeah. But I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, why would, why would A&M come to Oxford favor against Ole Miss right now? No reason other than, I guess, in name only preconceived notions. But from what you've seen, no shot. Yeah. And Vegas doesn't. And we're not saying they're going to win all these games either. But the, the point is that they can. Yeah, the two and road not, trip ups would be what Tennessee and Auburn. But the way Tennessee looks now, that one's out the window. That was a preseason one for me. But I mean, unless they really pissed down their leg, they're not losing to Tennessee. It'd be Auburn and then just not playing well against LSU and A and M. Who else are you losing to? Yeah, I think Corral is a personal thing with Arkansas. I think they'll score sixty. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately for Arkansas, they have two difficult games in a row before Oxford. I know Ole Miss plays Alabama, and there's you know, data that shows that the Bama hangover can be real. But Arkansas has got A&M and then Georgia before they go to Oxford. So, I mean, they should be – that's a really tough spot for Arkansas. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I have a feeling that – Lane Kiffin as well. But Matt Corral's got that game circled and underlined five times over. I didn't want to do the whole, like, path to the playoff thing because I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves because, again, Ole Miss is beating Louisville, Austin P and uh, Tulane. But, like, say they're as good as we're talking about and don't beat Alabama. You show up at the end of the year and you somehow win every other game except for Alabama and that game's remotely close. Don't you have some sort of argument? Like, Yes. It's not insane. Do. So, that's probably as good enough to, in terms of Ole Miss's insanely lofty expectations because they've scored a gajillion points. Now, that's probably a good place to leave it. Before we get out of here, just bouncing around the SEC, has anything else surprised you? I've been surprised at – again, we haven't seen a ton of it since Haynes King went down. But, man, Zach Calzada looked tough in that second half against Colorado. Like, just did not look like he had it. I understood why he lost the quarterback battle after watching it. I'm not really buying the A&M thing, just not really keeping rolling on. Because I think, like, Kellen Mond was not perfect, but somewhat underappreciated. It's almost like the the guy he's backing up right now. Like, Kirk Cousins, not great. You know what he is, but can be underappreciated if his backup's worse. I don't really buy the A&M thing. I'm curious to see. I think that Arkansas line's a little small this weekend. I think the Sharps will probably be all over Texas A&M, even though it's a five-point game or five-point line. I, they don't really scare me. Honest to God, the team that's impressed me most in the SEC West is Auburn. What stuck out to you? Just SEC, take it wherever you want. Yeah, I, I was really high on AM going into the season, and quarterback play is atrocious uh, for them right now. Uh, just completely atrocious. And, and I mean, it, it's not like Haynes King was great in their season opener either. Yeah, he could just run. He was slightly more accurate and could run is what it seems like to me. I mean, and that was Kent State where they struggled early. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of out on AM. I know they've got pieces, especially defensively, that they should be able to run the football well and all that. But, yeah, Calzada's kind of a disaster. Um, I'm not as high on Arkansas as some people are. Now, I was really impressed with what they did at Texas. I mean, they didn't do anything special. They just lined up and said, we're more physical than you. That's it. We're more physical than you. We're going to run it down your throat, and you're not going to stop it. We're just going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, and you're not going to stop it. I do think Jefferson's limited to the point where they're going to lose some games moving forward. That'll surprise some people. Um, I just don't think 
the total roster is prepared to win a bunch of games in the SEC West. Good in the front seven, you know, physical, but not dynamic enough. I think you're dead on with that because there's a reason K.J. Jefferson left and no one really batted an eye. They honestly remind me a little bit of 2012 Ole Miss. They have two really, really good coordinators, and I know that wasn't the same thing with Ole Miss because Hugh Freeze calling the offense, but bear with me on that one. They're going to be prepared and well-schemed and well-coached. They just don't really have the horses or the talent to compete on a week-in and week-out basis, but they're going to be a good, competent football team that's in most of the games they play because they have two really good coordinators in Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles. Like, they, there's some 2012 Ole Miss vibes there to where it's like, how in the world could that team have potentially won nine games? You could make an argument Ole Miss should have in 2012. I don't think Arkansas wins nine games, but I'm with you. I just – they're not the, – they don't have the horses to be a serious threat, but if you're not playing well against them, they're going to be in the game and they're going to trip you up. Oh, yeah. And Sam Pittman deserves so much credit. Uh, I mean, the roster situation he took over – uh, the, the conversation being had today by some in the Mississippi State blogger sphere is that Mike Leach can't be compared to the other coaches that were hired at the time because his situation was worse. And Ooh. I didn't engage because I don't like engaging and stuff like that, but hell no, it wasn't. It's what Sam Pittman took over at Arkansas was a disaster. They had won four games in the last two seasons. The roster was not competitive at all. It was a joke, and he was mocked as a hire because – okay, they've got a dumpster fire on their hands. And this, yes, sir, clown's going to come in and do something. Good luck. Arkansas is going to be a doormat forever. He makes two great hires. The kids obviously believe in what he's selling. And suddenly they're formidable. But the situation he took over was a disaster. I'm curious to see what it looks like after Barry Odom gets another shot as head coach and when somebody bigger poaches uh, Kendall Bryles, how he's able to hire the next guys. Because if you don't have your own system, like when Jeff Lebby inevitably leaves Ole Miss, I think it's after this year because if you're a group of five school and you don't interview that guy, I think you're crazy. Um, Ole Miss will be fine, though, because Kiffin's an offensive guy. He's got a system. He's known as a savant. They'll be fine because he, he's who he is. You mentioned Hugh Freeze. They had offensive coordinators, but a guy like them can lose coordinators and make it. Now, Hugh made a bad hire with Phil Longo, but generally, you understand my point. What does Pittman do when his two guys leave? Can he replace them with equally good guys since he doesn't have his own system to fall back on? That's what I'm most curious about. Dabo's been able to do it well at Clemson. Obviously, Nick Saban does it well. Ed Orgeron sucks at it. Yeah, I agree. And right now, you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Because he fucking yeah. like, he nailed it on both of them. Like, so, like, until he proves me otherwise, you know, he's like a, he's like who some of those national guys, I'm not, I'm not like, this is not like a straight shot or anything, because I think I probably wrote some lesser red version of the same thing at Super Talk, where Matt Luke hires two coordinators, two former head coaches and coordinators, and it's like, okay, he knows what he is, he's giving up power, like, he's just kind of going to be a program manager. Sam Pittman is what all those stories wished Matt Luke were at the time, like, more competent hires, they kind of like he's kind of what yeah. that version of that, like he's exactly what they wished Matt Luke would have been. And maybe some old Miss fans wished it, although I think most of the rational fan base, including most of the people listening to the show, probably knew what Matt Luke was and didn't want it in the first place. But I digress. The crowd sizes reflected that. But yeah. yeah. And then so outside of that, it's like we kind of covered the LSU part of it. It's Georgia, gettable. That's the take. I mean, yeah. that's you asked the overarching thing of the SEC. 
Alabama and Georgia until proven otherwise, but the rest of the league is really gettable right now. It is not near as daunting for specifically Ole Miss, since this is an Ole Miss-based podcast, as it's been in the past. Every game is gettable, including Alabama. But the, the league is not as deep as it's been in the past, it, filled with super quality teams. It's Alabama-Georgia tier below, I would argue, Ole Miss-Florida, Texas A&M, although they haven't looked like it, significant drop-off. Then you start adding everybody else. Two through, th- two through six in the West is wide open. Like, I think based off of what we've seen right now, like, you feel pretty comfortable. I had Arkansas in there as well. I left them out. Ar- Did I say Arkansas? Arkansas, Ole Miss, Florida, yeah. A&M. Yeah. And it's then it's a drop-off after like, that. But, like, two through six in the West is wide open. I think you feel pretty comfortable in saying State probably going to finish last in the West this year. And it's, in a different degree, somewhat true in the East. Vanderbilt finishing last. Missouri's probably – Missouri-South Carolina's probably bringing home six. I guess it's two-tiered in the East where it wouldn't stun me if Kentucky finished over Florida for second or if it gets weird and George ends up finishing second. I don't see that happening. And then, like, I mean, I guess four through six is up for grabs. Who's worse between Tennessee, South Carolina, and Missouri? Like, it's wide open in that sense. None of those teams are going to compete for the top three. But at least it's, like, not predetermined. It's a lot more gettable behind Alabama in the West and a lot more gettable on the bottom tier in the East, which I'm fascinated to see. I haven't seen enough of the bottom tier of the East. I thought Kentucky had a good roster going in. I haven't watched a ton of them. They seem to have competent enough quarterback play, which makes me higher on them. I know they slept walk through it last week. Georgia, that defense has potential to be all-time. I'm just not sure JT Daniels didn't peak when he was 19 years old. Do you think they actually have a shot? Well, I know, I know they have a shot and are probably the favorites in the East. Do you think if they met in Alabama in the SEC title game, they could win the game? I honestly have no idea. I haven't seen enough. Are you less impressed? I know transitive property is not a thing that you should apply to football, but are you less impressed with Georgia's defense now that you've seen Georgia Tech's defense do the exact same thing to Clemson? Yes and no. I think there's a chance that that's probably true, but there was a weird rain situation in that Georgia Tech game, and I'm not outing, like, giving Clemson a pass. I just saw Clemson's got a good offensive line, and I saw what Georgia's defensive line did. I think they could do that against anyone, and that's probably the reason I'm still pretty bullish on it, but your point is still valid. I just see what Georgia has up front, and it's like, I mean, they made an SEC coach basically just look around at a press conference earlier this week and be like, what do you mean, what did they do? They have beasts everywhere. Like, at a certain point, that matters, right? Like, that's why I'm still pretty high on them. They're absurd up front. Yeah, they are. And, of course, Nicobe Dean is there making plays at linebacker. But I would like to see them against literally anybody else because it couldn't move the football against Clemson at all, at all. And – since then, what? It's been UAB and South Carolina, who is, God bless them, they're awful. They play hard for Shane Beamer, but talent is just not there. Uh, I don't think they have a dynamic enough offense to win, like, a national championship. Although everybody's flawed. Georgia's flawed. I, I think they lack uh, dynamic dynamics in their offense, especially starting at the quarterback position. Alabama, we clearly saw that with Florida. Clemson right now can't score. Uh, Ohio State's already lost. Uh, Penn State, I think they're limited at the most important position on the field, although they're formidable. Uh, Iowa doesn't have the dynamic playmakers, not good enough in the skill positions, I think, to win a championship. Uh, Oregon, good, injured, 
flawed. I mean, everybody in the country that is a title contender, Oklahoma, my God, Oklahoma is not the fourth best team in college football right now, but they might be because everybody else is flawed too. It's as balanced as I've ever seen it. So for me to sit here and say, I don't think Georgia can do it, it's kind of stupid considering that everybody's got a flaw and they're all pretty apparent. Yeah, Weldon hit this a little bit on Wednesday and I kind of, or Sunday, I kind of agree with him. Like if Alabama actually turns out to be human, like, you know, like an Ole Miss win in Tuscaloosa in two weeks would be a win for the people of college football, I think is the way I described it. Because if they show some sort of actual blip other than just, you know, uh, you know, winning a tough game in a road environment against a top 12 team and it being close, like I think that's where we are with the whole Alabama thing when they play a close game. It's like, oh, what's up with them? It's like nothing. The Swamp had 90,000 people in it. Florida's talented everywhere except for quarterback. Like if, if they actually lose a game, whether it's Ole Miss or someone else, you could be potentially in store for a pretty wild college football season. Because if it's Alabama's human, you know Clemson's human. And as you just outlined it with everyone else, you just went through everyone else. No one else really, like, scares you. So, like, I mean, I hate to do it. I respect to the Alabama dynasty. But, my God, can you get them to 10-2? and two? That would just make this college football season so much more fun. It'd be so, great. Yeah. And so, oh, and think of the columns that are going to be written, too. Oh, and Saban will come back in 22 and win a championship. But Yes, with a gajillion five stars and probably the same roster that's a year older. So, I think we just about covered it. It's been fascinating. I think that's where we are a quarter of the way through the season. It's like if you could just get Alabama to actually look human, not just, oh, they played a competitive game human as opposed to beat the shit out of everybody, you could be in for a wild year. Um, any parting shots and then just plug away. YouTube show, three to six every day, Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search uh, my name if you want to hear more of this, which if you do, God bless you. But there's a a few people out there that do it every day. So, uh, yeah, follow me there, Twitter and YouTube at Michael Borky. Then I'm on the radio as well. Uh, Unfortunately, having to work with Richard Cross. But that's a conversation for another day, I guess. Yeah, you know, just manage the ego. That should be the top of your resume. So, Richard Cross, ego manager, sports talk, uh, do it all, man. Appreciate it, Borky. I'm sure we'll hop back on three quarters of the way, Mark, somewhere around there and assess the same takes. We should probably just rewind these takes, honestly, and be like, man, that's not Oh, don't do that. (laughs) Oh, man, I I hate going back and listening to old stuff or reading old tweets. It's just embarrassing. I keep trying to tell people my job is not to be an expert because I'm not. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. My job is just to get you through your day with a little bit of – information and entertainment or whatever but if you're looking at me for like picks and expertise and x's and o's that i'm not that guy so (laughs) i don't know what i'm talking about clearly i don't know what i'm talking about so just try to enjoy it the best you can take it easy brother we'll talk soon all right man and that was michael borky appreciate his time as always good buddy of mine always enjoy talking some football with old michael um great addition or great uh Brings a lot to the table, I will say. I don't know about addition. He's not new to Sports Talk Mississippi. Check him out, 3 to 6. Check out his YouTube show. Now we're going to head to LB's Greg, a man that needs no introductions, and our Fresh Cuts Picks of the Week. Here we go. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones. Uh, back another edition of Fresh Cuts brought to you by both LB's and Skybox Sports Picks. We got the Skybox Sports Picks in the house this week. Got some free plays for the people go over last week's college games, last week's NFL games, and then dive into a full slate of uh, college football as well as NFL. As we do every week, we'll pick all the NFL games. We would not advise you to play all the NFL games. In fact, if you really want to, you could fade us on all of them. But uh, better 
So we're about one week away from really hitting prime time college football in terms of the slate just being great every which way you look at. So one week off, but uh, looking forward to it. What's up, my friend? Oh, man, just ready for a good weekend. So, uh, I'm in a quiet setting, uh, so we're no Jaeger bombs and uh, at the library to, uh, this weekend. So, uh, yeah, we're going to um, pr- produce some winners. And, uh, you know, the Black Keys are in town, so the, the town is hopping. Yeah, so last week we uh, we made podcast history. Greg dispatched from the library. I actually missed a couple picks writing them down, as I do pretty much every week. So I went back and listened to the show, and uh, it wasn't terrible from a noise uh, perspective, but there were a couple of moments, I think uh, maybe a couple of the Jaeger bombs that got yammed during the during the making. Oh, of- no, we had fun. We had fun. That's what we do on this podcast. We have Yeah, fun. I think it may have been leaning over to get the Jaeger bombs is where the noise inflected in, but really just a legendary moment for the podcast. I'll remember where I was. Uh, my kids will probably remember at, uh, me telling the story of Greg. Uh, yeah, uh, just- I definitely don't, don't know where I was, so I think I was outside. <laughs> yeah, I think I was outside, so yeah, well, we're so- good. One Jaeger bomb in, I know you were on the precipice because you were telling me you were outside. Someone was handing you the shot through the little window. And I think we may have made our way inside by the time it finished. I, that, yeah. I, I'm just going oh, yeah. based you, off the noise. You know, yeah. I mean, I was trying to stand out and be casual about it and uh, say, you know, have the respect of the podcast and, uh, you know, try to, you know, do it respectably via outside the, uh, the library sports bar and uh, microwave. But and. Instead, you know, there was just some people that saw me in the corner and uh, I got Jaeger bombs sent up my way. So I tried my best and I, I'm hoping I broke 500. We might have to dispatch you back out there in like a month or two. Like, I don't know if we make that every week thing, but maybe just get back amongst the people again every three weeks or so. Just dispatch from. I think LSU weekend, weekend would be a good one. I think LSU would be a really good weekend to uh, have a, a podcast at the sports bar. I've. <laughs> I'm coming in from the Arkansas game. Should we just zoom each other in the same room? See how loud that gets? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we just go back and forth. That'd be great. I I'm think sure the listeners awesome. would love that. I'm sure they would be so pumped to hear both of us two feet away from each other. You get the echo between our two voices. You get all the other nonsense and noise. I'm sure that would make for great acoustic podcasting. Well, I mean, that's why the people listen, because we, got, we, we live interesting lives. And, uh, you know, it just happens to – vicariously live in Oxford, Mississippi. And, uh, you know, Oxford's a great place to live in. It's great. Uh, that's a great point. A lot going on in Oxford, even on a bye weekend, as you mentioned at the top there, the Black Keys are in Oxford tonight. Uh, we were exchanging stories before we started recording where, like, I thought of – I was I'm actually coming in Oxford this weekend, kind of a last-minute deal for a wedding, and I'll be back for Arkansas weekend. But I kind of kicked the tires on going, and that Black Keys sold, showed out – sold out, excuse me – in like, you know, five minutes or less, as you were saying, you had buddies trying to get it, refresh the screen once, and it was already gone. That's a huge, huge get for the lyric. Like the Black Eyed Peas, I was telling you, or excuse me, Black Keys, not the same thing. The Black Keys, like Sorry, headline hangout fest in 2014. Black, I, sent you, like, I, sent you Black Eyed, I sent you Black Eyed Keys, and I knew you were going to say the Black Eyed Keys. <laughs> yeah, I like the Black Keys. I've listened to like quite a few of their songs. I'm not like a Black Eyed God, I keep doing it. Black Keys, roadie or anything. I'm not like buying albums. I'm really not into really any bands to that degree, but I like the Black Keys. I've seen them in concert, but they like headline Hangout Fest uh, the first night with the other two nights being the Killers and Outcasts. So like that's a massive, massive get for 
the library there. My parents are at this show, uh, as we were talking about. I don't know how my dad scored tickets, but as you said, what, just best if you don't ask questions sometimes? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's usually the best thing whenever a, a popular band, much less of, I mean, I think uh, they've got a, a Grammy, maybe one or two, and uh, maybe best album. I, I mean, I'm not uh, 100% lined up on the uh awards that the black keys have uh have accomplished but i think they're a pretty popular band and uh I, you know i'm a gold on the ceiling kind of guy so uh try to uh, take it take that in my arsenal every time i wake up every morning yeah so they got that what like little black submarines or something like that i don't know i could name i could probably name it more of their songs like there's some there they got some good songs i mean i know that uh a little black submarine is uh that song that you're thinking about Absolutely. So that'll be a fun night for anyone who's uh, listening to this hungover the next morning. Maybe we have some listeners that went to the show, report back how it was. I'm sure it was pretty awesome, but maybe we have some hungover listeners listening to this on a Friday after they went to that show. So we've got a full slate of NFL games to get to this week. Uh, As you'll recall, the first week, we absolutely just murdered the books. We were, I want to make sure I have the numbers correct in front of me. Week one we were, you were six, two and one in college, one and zero on the lock. I was four, four and one, uh, oh, and one on my lock. You were 10, four and one in the NFL and I was 11, three and one. And we both went a combined nine and zero in our locks, which is pretty, like we knew from the time that I read those stats last week when we were picking that things were going to go South. And I got to say they went South, but it actually wasn't as dramatic as I thought it would be. I went in tallying back up the picks. I always do it right before the show, like this show, just so it's fresh on my mind. And like at the time when we were watching all the games and going through it, I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. And it actually wasn't that bad. I got lucky and fared a little bit better than you, but really not much. It was marginal. So you went four and five in college. I actually went eight and one in college. The only game. Wow. Yeah, I know. Well, trust me, it gets worse for me here in the NFL in a second. But the only one I lost by my count was Oklahoma. We we both went Oklahoma. Skybox went Nebraska. Um, you were four and five in college. You won your lock with Cincinnati. I won my lock with Cincinnati. And then Skybox rolled with us for all of the college games. And Skybox was seven and two. So I beat the professionals. So really, who should you be paying for picks? Um, that's a joke. We should sign up for Skybox. But yeah, I mean, I have to agree. I mean, like whenever you listen to the podcast and you listen to us pretending like we know what we're talking about and then you listen, you read Skybox's tickets, like why not just go ahead and go with the professionals? Exactly. I mean, I think as I described it last week, I was listening back to the show and I said their picks are based off of, quote, math and other nerd shit. And we don't need that. So we'll see who withstands the test of time based off that strategy. You in the NFL I went seven and eight, two or one and four in locks. You went two and three in locks, but five and 10. Skybox did not roll with us on the NFL, but their free plays, I believe, were one and one. So a lot tougher sledding on the NFL this week. But honest to God, we called our shots. We knew this was going to happen uh, after just a ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was at the library. I mean, like, shame on me for not, like, locking in on the podcast and giving, every, giving the people the winners. That's a good point. I honestly should have given you just a two-pick boost for, I don't know, maybe you get two more wins for every Jaeger bomb that you yammed while you're in there. But, you know, that's not exactly locking in and crunching the numbers and focusing. So, really, the fact that you went five and ten and two and three on the locks is actually pretty impressive given the circumstances. You handicapped yourself. 
yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just sitting here trying to do it for the people. And, uh, you know, if I could stay away from the library and all those new books that come in, come in every, uh, every Tuesday and, uh, those Jager bombs that come along with them. Uh, yeah, I, I think we could do, actually make some, uh, lemonade with some, uh, lemons. You had a couple of shrewd plays on your locks. You went with the Indianapolis Colts and I was all over the Rams and you turned out to be true on that. They were like plus four. They lost the game by three. Um, but I didn't know that the quarterback was going to uh, sprain both ankles. Yeah, that's not great. Carson Wentz spraining both ankles. That seems like that that should that wouldn't be good uh, in terms of long-term prognosis. But, again, I'm not a doctor. I just pretended to be one on the radio. Um, my best play of the weekend was by far I took the Las Vegas Raiders. I think I actually may have mentioned somewhere in the podcast about sprinkling the money line on that. I just thought they were a lot better team. Uh, I think Big Ben is cooked. We'll get to that in a minute this week. Uh, so I got that one pretty well. We both got kind of burned on Arizona. In terms of the spread, that was kind of a horseshit game. Like, it just kept going back and forth. Like, you knew there was, like, a early pick and then a missed extra point, and you just knew from the beginning that that game was going to be weird from a spread perspective. So, like, I think we were on the right side of that, even though we didn't actually cash it. Um, I You took Buffalo, which was smart. I was all over Miami, and that could not have gone worse. They lost 35 to nothing. So, Really pedestrian week by both of us, but the good news is we got a full slate of games to bounce back from this week, huh? So we are what we're going to go fifteen and zero this week. I'm ready. All right, so here we go. Let's start with the college game. So I've got the skybox picks up as well. So bear with me because I'm toggling back and forth on the same computer to try to check out these skybox picks here. So let's see. Full slate of college games. Ole Miss, of course, off this week. They have Alabama and Tuscaloosa in two weeks in what should be a really interesting game, and I'm sure we'll talk a ton more about that as things get going next week and closer to it. Let's start with some college games. We'll probably pick most all of the SEC games and then maybe bounce around after that. Uh, let's start with one of the early games. You know, let's just go – let's just – right off the bat, let's just get into state – uh, LSU. LSU, want to make sure I have this updated because I had it last night. So it hasn't moved at all. This line hasn't moved really all week. Really interesting game in Starkville. Mississippi State is plus two and a half at home hosting LSU. State had played terribly in a loss to uh, Memphis last week. I know people were very upset about the blown call on the punt. Did you see this where they didn't down the punt? Or like the punt should have been down, but the referees let it go incorrectly and it ended up I don't know if you could say cost state the game, but it really put them behind the eight ball when they had a chance to take the lead and were playing a little bit better offensively. I won't downplay it and say it was completely inconsequential, but I don't think it should have come to that at the same time. But just a brutal loss there. LSU looks a little bit better in against Central Michigan last week. I thought Central Michigan might make that frisky, did not at all. Max Johnson looked a lot better. Uh, I got to be honest, I'll defer to you here first. I have no idea which way to go in this game. Well, I mean, you know, uh, regardless if the uh, SEC officials came out on Twitter and said that they messed up, you know, they, they haven't said that a lot. Um, that's a tough, tough beat for Mississippi State. And I actually thought that Memphis was going to win the game. But, um, you know, I, I got lucky on it with that being said. I just think that LSU across the board and every position is a better club. So uh, I just like to take the better athletes and the better club. So I'm going to take LSU here. Yeah, I don't think I need to overcomplicate this as well because, you know, I got I was very wrong on State in their week two win over 
uh, NC State, excuse me, I was blanking there for a second, but I honestly think that was a bit more of a matchup thing and credit to state to kind of lining up and punching them in the mouth from a defensive perspective in that game. And, you know, NC State couldn't really run the ball, but I just, I picked against state last week. I took Memphis. I just didn't really buy it. I think state's offensive line play is not very good. They're the Kings of hollow yardage. I mean, what they scored 29 points and what the Will Rogers kid was 50 for 67. And what they didn't, I mean, they put up, they didn't put up, they didn't put up 30 points and the kid completed 50 passes. Like, I just don't really understand it. The offensive line play, I hate watching it. I'm not saying it couldn't work at some point. I don't think they have the personnel to do it right now. I, I'm, I'm rambling here. Bottom line, I don't think state's very good. I think state is going to struggle to win four games. And by that, I mean, I know they have one more cupcake left on the schedule. I can't remember who it is, but I think state's going to struggle to win SEC game. They don't have Vanderbilt on the schedule. Kentucky's pretty good. I think Arkansas is much better than Mississippi state. So I'm going LSU here uh, exactly for the reason that you said at the end of the day, LSU has a, what at worst top seven roster in the country in terms of talent at the absolute worst. That doesn't mean they're going to be any good. I actually don't think LSU is very good per se, but that's more about who they have coaching them and not completely sold on Max Johnson, but yeah, I'm going to go LSU minus two and a half here. Um, but boy, if state finds a way to cover this one, and that would probably mean they won the game. Uh, does Ed make it to the next week? I would think so, but man, he's one more loss away from probably for sure being can, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, uh, I, I don't know why the water is always hot in Louisiana, regardless of how many uh, national championships you won. But uh, with that being said, you know, why would Ed Ogeron's uh, job be on the line if he loses uh, this game in Starville? Uh, just because I don't know if LSU fans expect the expectations of Alabama fans and, you know, being in the the uh, the top four in a national championship picture every year. So um, I think that LSU got lucky that one year with Joe Burrow transferring and um, all the athletes they had in every position. With that being said, um, I just think LSU just gets it jump, gets it done, and uh, I think it's a good bet, honestly. Yeah, I mean, th they would fire him because, one, they're already fed up with him. They're looking for, you know, reasons to fire him. You know, you keep hearing the worst-kept secret, you know, around the SEC right now is that they kind of have the what they need in place to fire him for cause and get out of that buyout. I mean, pick your scandal pertaining to the LSU but, football. I mean, who do you replace him with? Any, I mean, the, the, anything. It's one of those things where it's such, it's gone so stale and it's so, it's, it's so bad. Just anything new is good. I mean, you could pick up. I mean, you could hire. You're LSU. You could hire pretty much anyone you want in the country. I don't see Lane Kiffin there as an immediate fit to go ahead and get the self-loathing old Miss fan aspect of it out of the way. But I mean, the guy barely speaks English. Like you, you could go up um, for sure. And like he kind of caught lightning in a bottle there with that one year. Stayed out of his coordinator's way for once. I mean, he won a national championship and then hired Bo Pelini to run his defense the next year. Like, one of those things is the norm and one is the outlier, and I think you can pick who the outlier is. So I just think that their minds are made up. They want him out. And, man, you lose to this Mississippi State club, I, I, that's as good of an excuse as any, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just a tough situation because, like, I mean, you think that if you hire the coach, he wins a national championship, he's there for 10 years. But, obviously – we live in a, um, a day and age where, you know, winning is expected on every single year, regardless of, uh, you know, how many people you lose and how many, you know, first round draft picks you lose that year to the NFL. So that's, it's a tough spot. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, that is one of the more fascinating things. If you look at it completely in a vacuum, like you mentioned, if you win a national title, like a lot of times, like, you know, you're pretty much named the year you want to leave or retire to see how quickly the capital he built up has evaporated is one of the more remarkable coaching occurrences I've seen in the last really ever, to be honest, I'm not sure there's a ton of precedent for it. Like you mentioned, I mean, I guess you could go with the Gene Chizik thing, but that seemed readily apparent that he just landed a generational player and things were terrible after that. I mean, what he was like five and 20 or five and 19 or whatever the hell it was at Iowa state before he landed the job, got booed when he stepped off the plane to, you know, his opening press conference. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Like the, the fact that he's built, like, had that much capital built up in a road that quickly, but you got to look at everything that's surrounding the program from all the title nine stuff to the NCA investigation. It's just, it's a lot of bad stuff. And if you let that, all that play out, then you lose your ability to get out of that very expensive buyout. So kind of, I think it's a strike while the iron's hot type of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's just, uh, Everybody wishes they can hire a national championship caliber quarter uh, high, high head coach, and you finally get one, and you you know you know you're quick to pull the chain on them. Yeah, there's an argument to be made that LSU might be the best job in the country. The last three coaches have all won national titles, and I'm not really even sure if there's anywhere else that could say that in the country. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch, but I think LSU's. I think LSU will win this game. If they don't, they're in a hell of a lot of trouble because I just don't think Mississippi State is very good. Bouncing around here, but keeping it in the SEC, we're not really going in any sort of like time slot order throughout the day. So like, don't uh, base your sheet off the chronological order in which we go through these games. Let's go to South Carolina, Kentucky. South Carolina is plus five and a half here. Kentucky going on the road. They really slept walk through Chattanooga. Last week, I didn't watch, shockingly, didn't watch a second of that game. Uh, I don't really know what to make of that. I don't know if that was just, you know, 11 a.m. game against a probably pretty decent FCS opponent. I know Chattanooga's had a pretty good program. Um, I think they actually played Austin P. week one and lost in a close game, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. I don't know how much to make of that game. As you saw last week, South Carolina just does not have the talent. I mean, Georgia absolutely manhandled them uh, on both sides of the ball. They play hard for Shane Beamer, as I mentioned. I just don't think they're very talented. But to me, if you're actually playing this game, this is a stay away central. I have absolutely no clue what to make of this game. But, I mean, obviously we're going to pick it. So I guess I'll go Kentucky minus five and a half. I'll go with the better team, much better roster. But, you know, if this game gets weird and South Carolina gets up 14-0 early and Kentucky loses, it wouldn't stun me. But I just can't pick South Carolina with any good conscience. Like that just that's a, That seems like a very, very, very dumb bet. Yeah, I mean, I think I got lucky with you. Uh, I took South Carolina against East Carolina and just was, like, hoping and praying that the uh, graduates – We pushed that one, I think. Like, that ended up at three? Yeah, I think so. I think so. No, I I mean, I was in Lexington last weekend, and uh, it, it, Lexington, if you've never been to Lexington, I highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's a cool town. Uh, you know, it has a little Oxford S to it, but, you know, a little bit bigger, but – uh, had a great time. We went to Keeneland and uh, saw the horses and uh, went to Ashford and saw some stud horses. And it, it's an all around good time. So uh, if you if you need some uh, need somebody to set you up on something, I can probably help you out on the on the uh, Lexington experience. But I like Kentucky here. I just think that um, it's almost one of those situations where Ole Miss plays, you know, Jacksonville State, and they lose, but they should have won, kind of like that situation. So 
I think they might have been just sleepwalking against that 11 o'clock game against Chattanooga and they're a better club. And I, I can't see why not Kentucky can't beat South Carolina by two touchdowns here. Truthfully, we buried the lead of this podcast because that's what I meant to ask you from the start of this was, one, I agree with everything you said about Lexington. It's a fantastic place. My biggest, I've been twice, and my biggest takeaway from going the first time was how much bigger of like a like a city it is. Like it has its own commercial airport. I know it's not very big, but like I, I just I don't know why I thought it was like a college town, but it I mean it is to some degree. It has some feel with that, but it's a much bigger than I thought it would be. I hadn't been to Keeneland, but I've heard it's pretty cool. Um, you were hanging out with Marlins, man. What's the deal there? Did you talk to him? What's <laughs> oh, the deal? Did you have drinks you. with Marlins, man? Uh, I forgot I sent you that Snapchat. Yeah, Marlins, man, was hanging out at uh, the Keeneland uh, September sale uh, that Sunday. And uh, I, at first I was like, is that Marlins, man? So I just went ahead and pulled the trigger on the snap. So, <laughs> what, was um, the, what, was the, what was the deciphering factor on whether uh, it was Marlins, man? What gave it away? Just, Whenever he turned around and his jersey said Marlins man. <laughs> oh man, you know, gave it away there. Was it the orange Marlins jersey or the orange Marlins? I mean, you know, he's got the discreet mustache and kind of looks very, you know, I mean, he doesn't look like anyway. Long story short, like I literally I was like, oh, that's Marlins man. And so I sent the Snapchat and I was like, what is Marlins man doing at uh, at the Keeneland September yearling sale? And it ended up being Marlins man. And obviously he's a horse guy. So uh, it was kind of cool, but uh, you know, man, there's so many different types of characters in Lexington and uh, Lexington's really pretty and um, everything's clean and uh, straightforward. We went to Ashford and um, saw uncle Mo and, uh, Motown and Practical Joke and uh, Caravaggio, which is uh, probably my favorite horse of all time. But uh, it, it was cool. I mean, you know, it's, it's a really cool trip. And uh, in October, I would recommend if you uh, if the Rebels were playing and, um, you know, they work it out to where the uh, football game is usually at night or during the day to where the horse racing is at night to where you can go to both of them. So, it's a pretty good rocking time. So uh, I recommend Keeneland for sure. That is uh, that is awesome. I would, did you talk to Marlins man or did you just let him roam? I mean, I mean, like I, I really, uh, there were so many famous people at, at the sale that I was yeah. just like, uh, just kind of awkward to be like, Oh, Hey Marlins man. Uh, I'm from Mississippi. Have you ever met anybody from Mississippi? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but I'm the meat man and uh, we should take a picture, but no, it was really cool. Um, just Keeneland's beautiful. I mean, you know, just everything's top notch, everything's clean, and everything's straightforward. And uh, I can't wait to go back in October. Uh, hopefully, watch one of my horses run. And uh, you know, just I went to the sale sales, and I didn't go to the racetrack. So two totally different situations. But man, Keeneland's beautiful. I, I highly recommend a trip to Lexington. If I ever get the chance to meet Marlins, man, that's exactly what I'm going to say. Hi, Marlins, man. I'm from Mississippi, and I know the meat man. What's up? Like, <laughs> what's going on? You know, that's kind of funny. Uh, the uh, uh, Slow Eddie, the guy that uh, went with me, uh, that's his opening line is, uh, hey, uh, have you ever met anybody from Mississippi? And uh, literally, that's what he went. That's what he did to Bob Baffert at uh, Santa Anita like four years ago. He goes, hey, have you ever met? anybody from mississippi and bob baffert's like no he goes 
my name's Ed Nelson. I'm from Oklahoma, Mississippi. Now that you know somebody, you know, so it's uh, uh, being from Mississippi, you got to roll with that opening line. Did you, the gentleman you went with, you described him as Slow Eddie. Does, did he introduce himself as Slow Eddie and how did he acquire such a name? Uh, well, yeah, he likes to call himself Slow Eddie, but he's really wants to think himself as Fast Eddie. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I do know a person named uh, Slow Eddie that refers himself to Fast Eddie. So, uh, that's just, uh, he, he owns Greyhounds, Greyhounds and some, Pennsylvania brands with me so uh it was a it was a character uh character situation going and meeting all these people so I literally uh was hanging out with uh Dean Rothmeyer who is you know like a sales representative of Keeneland and uh and Ed's talking to him about the Greyhounds that he owns in uh Wayland, West Virginia so it's kind of it was kind of funny absolutely electric that's uh that's awesome all right so we got the Marlins man story out of the way Keeping it moving. I've already screwed up this podcast in the sense that I forgot to do the Skybox place. Skybox is on LSU and Skybox is on Kentucky. So just putting that out there, Skybox has gone with us on both of those so far. I don't think that's overly a shocker. Um, honestly, I don't know if you want to read into it. I mean, the Skybox is given these free plays, so these aren't their client plays. But um, I just found that interesting that everyone yeah. seems to be on the same side. It, it seems like Skybox has common sense. So it really helps that, uh, you know, you listen and follow somebody's plays that have common sense. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, – I'm going to say uh, – I don't know if common sense works into their algorithm, but it certainly works into our algorithm, and it's worked questionably for us over the years. So we'll keep it rolling with that. Let's uh, – where do we go next? Let's go – Oh, here's a doozy for you. Georgia Vanderbilt, another 11 o'clock game. If I am not mistaken, I had these lines written down, but I want to make sure they're updated because I know a couple of them have moved and I want to get the most up-to-date line we could possibly get for these. Yeah, okay. This game is in Nashville, which means it'll be 80% Georgia fans and probably one of the only times that stadium is close to filled. Sorry, I had to get that Vanderbilt shot in. Vanderbilt is plus 35 at home. Um Man, if you're if you're hammering this game at 11 a.m., you're just a different breed of citizen. Like I, I get like sprinkling a little bit on it, but this is one of your core plays. You either found something um, from someone or, buddy, I you, you're just a different breed of human. Where are you going on this? Man, this is uh, <laughs> you would never think that an SEC matchup would require 35 to 36 points in a game. So, and I think hell, the guys that add on to your point. Georgia was 32 against South Carolina last week. Again, granted, it was at home, but like back-to-back 30-point SEC line for the dogs. That defense is legit. Yeah, I mean, can I say like 55 to 10, Georgia? Uh, So I'm just going to go with Georgia here. I think that – God, can you believe um, trying to bet 35 and just like adding it up at the the fourth quarter and like, come on, Vandy, like score a late touchdown to cover, you know? I just think it's going to be 55 to 10. Fair enough. I'll just fade you for the hell of it. I'll go with the nerds. I'll go Vanderbilt. Um, just because I think Vanderbilt is okay defensively. I think they'll wear down. And, like, I'm just not 100% sure I trust JT Daniels to score 55 points. Like you said, he may not need to. They may win the game 40 to nothing. But I'm just a little questionable on Georgia offensively. I don't don't mistake this for me thinking this game's going to be close. I'll just roll the dice with the numbers and go Vanderbilt plus – 35, which is probably one of the dumber bets of the year, but whatever, we're here. This is why we do this show. So I'll go Vanderbilt plus 35. Let's take a peek at who Skybox had. 
Oh, they're on Vanderbilt as well. Okay. So Skybox Sports Picks rolling with Vanderbilt plus 35 at home. Uh, again, I don't know how much there is to be made of that at all. If you're if you're heavy hitting that game, I'd like to know what you're into by eight o'clock at night. Let's uh, keep it moving here. Um, where are we Definitely going next? Who's got a and Who's a And M got this week? Oh, a And M Arkansas. That was like the market. Yeah, it's game. in uh, Dallas. Yeah, so we got that mid afternoon game. Aren't That's got to be the that game. What? Or you got a high school game Friday? No, so I'm rolling into Oxford real late. So I'm actually off this week. This old Miss is off week. I kind of said I wouldn't do anything, and then I got convinced to go to a wedding. Um, not convinced. I knew I was going to the wedding. That's completely not true. I just am uh, going to, I guess, hang out on the square and do as little as possible because I don't have to have any sort of game where I really have to pay attention and kind of like do post-game stuff. So I'm going to enjoy that aspect of it. But it is in my old backyard in Arlington, and I am actually having trouble finding where the hell this line is. Do you have this up? I think it's uh, Arkansas plus five and a half. That sounds like it would be in the neighborhood. What in the world? Why can I not find this line? Why is it off the? Oh, there it is. Good. Very bottom one that I had on this sheet here. Yeah, Arkansas plus five. I've seen a couple of people on the Rebel Grove message board say they're hammering Arkansas at home. I don't know if anyone's had the heart to tell them yet that that game is not, in fact, at home. Um, obviously, a neutral site game played at the Cowboy Stadium in Arlington. Um Man, maybe this is too good to be true. So, like, I feel like I feel like everyone here would be playing Arkansas. I haven't looked at where the public money is on this game. But when you just look at that line and your squares like we are, you'd go, oh, absolutely, Arkansas, plus 170 money line. I guess the case to be made for A&M rolling through this game by 17 points or so is that Arkansas is just not very talented, particularly offensively. And whatever you think of A&M's quarterback play, they are very, very good defensively. Um, particularly in the front seven, but whatever, I'll take the square play here that I've just, I, that may not be the square play. I'm just literally determining this off my own logic. I'll go Arkansas plus five. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, I just think, uh, you know, my situation on this, uh, the whole hiring and firing of coaches is if you pull the trigger on the right hire, your program takes off. You look at Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and, you know, slam dunk hire. I mean, like Keith Carter, you know, knocked it out the park and, you know, pulled the trigger on Keith Carter. I mean, on on Lane Kiffin and, you know, uh, it's worked out. Same thing has happened with Arkansas. You know, it, it, um, I know that they had uh, threw out the information that they were looking at Lane Kiffin and they got the reply back from the fans that they didn't want Lane Kiffin and they went um, Sam Pittman. So uh, Sam Pittman's worked out. Um, I think the program's in a – good spot and I think the Arkansas and Ole Miss game is going to be a really good game and with that being said I'm going to have to go with you on this Arkansas um I just think that you know Texas A&M's backup quarterbacks in they looked great against New Mexico but you know you're comparing New Mexico versus to Arkansas so uh I think Arkansas is uh is pretty live here I kind of like Arkansas yeah, and then as soon as we say that, Skybox is on – let's see. Skybox is on – where are they here? Oh, there they are. They are on A&M. So maybe we just diagnosed that perfectly. A&M is the square play – or excuse me, Arkansas is the square yeah. play. A&M is where the Sharps are headed. 
read into that what you want, but whatever. I feel pretty good about Arkansas because um, I think they have two of the best coordinators in the country. I think they scheme very well. So I, uh, I don't have a problem with uh, fading Skybox here. Got a couple more to get to before we get to the NFL. And that would be, let's see, you got a couple more. We'll go through all the SEC games and then we'll go outside the SEC towards the end. Uh, Seven o'clock, we've got Florida and Tennessee. Florida coming off what was a really, really valiant effort against Alabama after getting down 21 to three. Emory Jones was not very good early, but was actually quite good late. Um, I think Dan Mullen, love him or hate him, he's a good football coach and a fantastic play caller, really exposed Alabama defensively. And Florida's defense kind of stiffened up a little there in the second half to where, you know, I, I would like to see that game in overtime if they'd have had a legitimate uh, two-point conversion play call instead of whatever that hell that was that they ran there. They are minus 18 and a half. And, um, you know, this is a lot, but Tennessee's got self created quarterback issues you know Weldon was talking about this on the show on Sunday I'm kind of with him on this I don't think Joe Milton's like terrible but they already benched him and they went with the Malik uh, the uh, hooker kid whatever his name is uh Hendon Hooker for the last game they kicked the shit out of whoever that was Tennessee Tech last week don't think you can really tell much Florida minus 18 and a half in the swamp I gotta go with the Gators here I don't think there's gonna be any sort of hangover or letdown I think if anything else, they'll kind of be out for blood. So I'm going to go with the Florida Gators minus 18 and a half to blow Tennessee out. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going to go Tennessee here just because, uh, you know, this game used to be, you know, determined the East champion and uh, the uh, East uh, SEC East championship title used to go through back uh, through uh, Gainesville and, uh, and Knoxville. I think it's a, it's a rivalry. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, uh, is it Todd Helton or Chris Helton? Uh, uh where we go, Josh Heupel at uh, Tennessee. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, I really missed the bus on that one. So yeah, Josh Heupel, uh, hopefully he can, um, uh, you know, bring back some of those, uh, inner rivalry because there were some good games back in the day in the early nineties, late nineties, um, between Florida and Tennessee and, uh, I just think that might be too many points. Uh, with that being said, I, I think I'm just going to take the points here and see if I can't uh, weasel a 14-point uh, game in this. Skybox is with you. They are all over the Tennessee Volunteers in this one. So back-to-back, uh, I'm fading Skybox in back-to-back games there. They probably know a little something about it. So you and Skybox are on the right track with that one, or at least it sounds like they agree with you there. So they're going Tennessee plus 18 and a half. Couple more to get to here, real quick. We won't spend a ton of time on this one. Auburn minus twenty-seven against Georgia State. I don't know why anyone would actually play this game, um, but you know what? I don't know anything about Georgia State, but I know Auburn's not great offensively, and I think this game could get kind of weird. If you want to actually talk about a hangover game, emotional loss last week, Auburn will win this with ease. But twenty-seven is a decent bit. Georgia State has an okay program. I'll go with Georgia State. What is there? Are they a Panther? What this mascot looks like? Yeah, they, oh yeah, they're a Panther. Yeah, some sort of beast, um, feline beast, I should say. Yeah, whatever. Georgia State plus twenty-seven. Absolutely no lean on that. I obviously would not never play this, but whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. Let's go with uh, we're all uh, Georgia State Panthers uh, today, this weekend. So I don't see why not. I mean, you know, uh, do I think it, uh, Auburn should have won that game in at Penn State? Probably, but they didn't. And uh, with that being said, I, you know. I'm going to go with the points here and uh, just think it's too many, but 
with that being said, don't get me wrong. I, I'm pretty sure Auburn would win like what 55 to 10 and, you know, make us look like idiots. I didn't get a ton of that game, particularly the second half of it with the way the old Miss game played out in terms of having the rain delay. And then um, I didn't watch a ton. I watched the very end of the last drive or whatever. To me, the takeaway from that game was Bo Nix is absolutely is what he is away from home. I, I think he's a known commodity at this point. And Auburn's got a decent football team with a decent nucleus of guys around him, probably a defense that's a little bit better than some figured they would be. And they're just not good enough to quarterback to win games like that. And, like, I'm not even sold on the Clifford kid at Penn State, but he was slightly better than Bo Nix, and I think that's probably why Penn State won the game in addition to being at home. Shout out to Flor- uh, to Auburn for going with white face masks and going with a whiteout that uh, was not intended for them. That's always a power move. But it was an impressive showing by Auburn. I think there's a world where they could sneak up and be the third best team in the SEC West, depending on what happens with Ole Miss and AM coming down the stretch. AM's got a lot of question marks. I think we'll find out um, just how good of a chance they stand without Haynes King um, over the next couple of weeks in this game this weekend against Arkansas. So, yeah, whatever. Uh, Skybox is on Georgia State, too. So we're just on the Panthers all across the board. Again, take and make of that whatever the hell you want to. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not, not Don't know a single thing about that a uh, couple another one to get out of the way real quick Alabama Ole Miss plays them next week obviously they're playing another Mississippi school this week minus 45 against Southern Miss <laughs> you got to lean here man that's a lot of points that is uh, a lot of points I mean you know I, I know that Alabama prefers to cover the spread and I think that Saban knows what the spread is but with that being said, I just feel like uh, he might have said the handicappers might have done a little bit too much on this game. I mean, even if it's 55 to 10, you're still safe, you know, with Alabama. But, like, is it really going to be 55 to 10 or is it going to be 52 to nothing? I mean, like, um, is it Josh Tall that's the – Coach, yeah, Will Hall, uh, Mississippi native, son of Mississippi yeah. High School royalty. I mean, like, I um, he he posted an interview the other day that you know he was the biggest disappointment in Southern Miss, you know, history and yada yada yada. I mean, I think a guy like that that says that, like, you know, really takes pride in his job. And I mean, I can't see why, like, you know, Southern doesn't come out and you know compete, but. You know, whenever, you know, the talent across the board is just too much better on the other side, it's hard to stay, you know, competing in a game like that. Didn't Southern lose to South Alabama like 42 to 7 already? It was a lot to a little. I don't have the score. We could get IT on that. But, yes, it was a blowout. I'm just – I mean, I want to. I want to go with the Mustard Birds because, like, we've had – we have so many listeners in Hattiesburg that – Really appreciate this podcast and listen on a daily basis. And but I, I'm just going to go to Alabama. I just think it's going to be just not good. And uh, I think uh, Alabama, uh, you know, showed some weakness against Florida last weekend. And you know, Florida had a shot. And uh, whenever you take your shot with Alabama, you got to take it. And um, you know, that two point conversion play was hot garbage and you know uh i wouldn't want to play the, i wouldn't want to run that play to tie alabama again so i'm gonna go alabama I, 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 that's a stupid play yeah i think i'm gonna play this alabama thing perfectly whereas last week i believe on the podcast i said i'm going against alabama one more time and if they burn me i'm gonna have a listener email me every week don't go against alabama you idiot 
And I was actually on the right side. Florida covered with, I'd say, relative ease. They covered and it didn't end up being close. Um, but I'm not going to go against them this week. I'm just going to go with Alabama because I think they could win this game or would win this game 60-something to seven, um, you know, without really much hesitation. So, yeah, whatever. I'll go Alabama. Not a ton of lean on that one. Skybox is taking the points again. They're on the huge underdogs this week. So they're actually going Southern Miss plus 45. That is uh, – oh, there we go. Uh, Skybox not on this one. Missouri, Boston College. Know nothing about either one of these two. I don't think Boston College has a great team this year, but I've seen that Missouri defense. It is Boston College plus two. I'm going to go with the Eagles here because I think Missouri's defense sucks. Yeah, I, I'm just going to make it short and simple. I, I'm with you on the Boston College. I think uh, um, the, um, the the uh, SEC angle for Missouri and the SEC is the why they're favored, and it honestly probably might be a should be a pit game, but I, I like Boston College. But uh, I don't think uh, Missouri, any of Missouri's players have ever been in the Eastern Standard time zone ever. Yeah, I just – I don't – I haven't watched much of Missouri this year. I didn't get to see a ton of their game against um, against Kentucky. But just from looking from a sheer numbers perspective, I think they're capable offensively but pretty abhorrent on defense. And this game appears to be in Chestnut Hill. I guess that's where Boston College is. So I'm definitely going Boston College here. I'd probably just take them to win the game outright if I were playing this game. So Boston College there. Skybox did not have this game. I sent this one late afterward because I omitted it. So they're not on this one. Last one we got left, I believe. Want to make sure I hadn't skipped any. One outside the SEC will do this week is Wisconsin minus six against Notre Dame. This game's in Chicago, right? But it's not at Lambeau. Where is this game? Do you know? Um, I don't know if it's at Soldier Field. Let me see if I can. I don't know why the hell I said Lambeau. That was the dumbest thing ever. That's what I was going to ask is that Soldier Field. I'll look it up. We'll get IT on this. I'll get our research department um, and see what. But it's Wisconsin plus six. Uh, hold on. I'm pulling it up. What's, uh, yeah, Wisconsin. Um, it is 11 o'clock. Soldier a. Field. It's at Soldier Field. Wow. That's awesome. I, I mean, I think they should do more games like this. Um, I know Wisconsin had a bad uh, loss against Penn State, you know, early, and I think they had a bye week last week. And, uh, you know, uh, everybody was on Purdue last weekend against Notre Dame, and uh, Notre Dame looked good. And, and I, I like Wisconsin here. I just think that uh, – I mean, I don't know. That's uh, that's a lot. I mean, for them to be favored by six, there might be a reason why they're favored by six. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin and because, uh, you know, Brian Kelly's already uh, executed his whole team, you know. So uh, with that being said, uh, I'm going to go with a team that's not been executed. I went back and forth on this one. I don't love uh, Notre Dame as a team, but I will give them as credit for this, that Brian Kelly, you can tell he's a good coach. As they go on the road, and a couple of times where they're kind of slight favorites or maybe they're slightly over a touchdown favorite and they kind of get in a dogfight, but they come out on the right side of it more times than not. I think that's the sign of someone who's running a, a good program. And you can dump on Notre Dame making the playoff and it being the same result every time. But if you look at who they lost to in the playoff each time, the team that played that team in the national title game, whether it was Alabama or Clemson, got absolutely shit pumped as well. And so – and the counter to that would be is like the, the two years, three years that Notre Dame did get in. It's like, okay, well, who else did you want in? Like, who else were you arguing for over Notre Dame? Most of the time, they were the clear-cut number four. 
So that rant aside, I'll go to Notre Dame here just because I think they have a knack of winning these games. And I think I went Wisconsin week one playing uh, going against Penn State. And that Graham Mertz kid or whatever the hell his name is playing quarterback, I, I, I don't no want to see him throw a football anymore. He was not good. No clue. No clue. Skybox is on Notre Dame minus six. So there you have it. Skybox going Notre Dame minus six. Those are our college plays for week four. Kind of crazy to think we're already four weeks into this. And now we're turning it over to the NFL, where as my, as the radio legend Mike Francesa says, where they play for pay. Huge NFL slate. I think do bye weeks start kicking in next week? I don't think we have buys this early in the year, if I'm not mistaken. No, definitely yeah, I think it's after this week, right? Some teams have it after week three. Yes, I think it's definitely next week. Yeah, so whatever. Not not point point being full slate of games. Once again, as we're recording this, the Texans and Carolina are going on right now in the Davis Mills versus Sam Darnold Bowl. It's a really compelling television on that one. So we won't pick that one. So we'll have 15 games left for the NFL. We'll take the under under on that game. (laughs) That's probably a great call. That under could be – in the twenties, and uh, it, we it might hit. Uh, although it is seven nothing, so we did get a touchdown from Carolina on the board. Carolina might actually be sneaky good. A lot of the analytics nerds love their defense, and Darnold's just capable. You have Christian McCaffrey, a decent offensive line, and a bunch of weapons. Greg Little doesn't even start on that offensive line, which I found a little bit surprising. Um, but anyway, I think Carolina might actually be sneaky good. Texans are not as bad as we think they are, but again, without Tyrod Taylor, like what what are we talking about here? So we'll skip that one, but we're going to start off. Reminder, we get five locks. I don't think we used a college lock. I'm going to retroactively lock LSU over state. How about that? Do you have a college, the one you want to lock? Well, I'd hate to lock in with you on the LSU. Um, There are no rules here. Yeah, I know, but I think I locked in with you a lot last week and we got burned. No, I I like the LSU. I just think that LSU is just better across the board. Like, I just – I don't understand, you know, why – I mean, do the, do the referees have that big of, a, uh, of control of the over the line, you know, because they got – because the Mississippi State got screwed over on a couple of calls? No, I just think LSU is just too good, man. If, I, if, if there was a, a, a lock, I would go other than LSU. I mean, I think Kentucky's sneaky good, man. I really think they're sneaky good. They just – you know, uh, it's hard to play an 11, 11 o'clock game against UT Chattanooga and get up, get excited about that. There you have it. Kicking off the NFL slate, we just have an absolute doozy that happened to be the first one on my screen to start off the 1 o'clock games or 12 o'clock, obviously, our time. Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer puts out the note like he's still at Ohio State that apologizing to fans, saying that there's no one working hard to fix it, then uh, – then the guys in the building surprised he didn't mention something about molding young men and the guys being good in the classroom. Cause I, I really do think he still thinks he's at Ohio state. Uh, that was bizarre. I don't know if you caught that graphic, but they are plus seven and a half against Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. I'll tell you what, man, with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, I don't love Kingsbury as a play caller and a coach, but I think one thing that's been determined about the Cardinals so far this year was you remember last year where the Cardinals were very good for the first like half to almost two thirds of the year. And then really just kind of shit the bed and lost out on that wild card spot down the stretch that kind of coincided with Murray having a shoulder injury. And, you know, you have so many guys dinged up on a given week in the NFL and everyone's like, Oh, whatever. Everyone's hurt this time of year. Well, he stopped running. If you look at the numbers into that, he stopped running pretty much at all. And that really changed their offense. And now a fully healthy Murray looks like 
almost a borderline MVP candidate. So we got Jacksonville plus seven and a half. I took them. We both took them as pretty decent sized underdogs against Jacksonville, or excuse me, against Denver at home last week. I'll just throw it to you first. Cause I don't have a lean on this. This is a stay away from me, but Jacksonville plus seven and a half Arizona at home. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, like it's just uh, one of those seek help bets. If you uh, bet this game, but I'll bet this game. And uh, you know, uh, I just think Kyler Murray is just is really solid across the board. Uh, I watched that game against the uh, the Titans, and uh, he made some really great throws, and he controlled the game. And uh, you know, I know that what's the defensive end that had an unbelievable game against the the Titans? Beat me to the Chandler. punch there, Chandler Jones. Still remembering that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, like whenever you have a playmaker like that on defense, that uh has a, a little flame underneath his uh under his ass like why can't you not take it uh the uh, arizona cardinals here so i'm gonna go against my grain here i just think arizona's just gonna roll yeah i'm gonna go arizona here my advice to you if you're gonna play this game is one i would put this in a teaser where you can get it down to arizona minus one and a half or two buy it to seven because there's a decent chance where it's like 14 late you get just absolutely screwed you know the big deal in the nfl these days if you're down 14 and you score a touchdown to cut it to one score, you know, the nerds are telling you to go for two now. So there's been a lot of seven and a half, seven point lines just busted by garbage time touchdowns and two point conversions. So I would buy this down as far as you can, if you're trying to get it. Uh, but again, I'm kind of the same thing. Stay away. Wouldn't touch this. I'll go Arizona as well. I just think Kyler Murray's too good. So uh, Skybox not rolling with this on the NFL games. They got a couple of free plays for us that I'll read at the end, but uh, they give out way too many, not give out they sell too many picks in the NFL to just be handing them out for free like that. So just us two on the NFL games this week again. Next one, we got my Tennessee Titans at home against the Indianapolis Colts. Titans, huge win in Seattle last week. I was pretty skeptical. They got down early in the game. I still don't really love the defense. If I love the defense, I think they're terrible. Um, did you see a couple of those Tyler Lockett touchdowns, or the first one at least, where it was like, how is a professional defense allow someone to be that wide open? I mean, that would make Wesley McGriff shit his pants. Did you see those? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, for some strange reason, somebody in my fantasy football league drafted uh, drop Lockett, and I picked oh, him God. up. And so uh, he's actually uh, carry, carried my load uh, to a one-on-one record uh, for the – first two weeks in the uh, rib cage uh, fantasy football league. But uh, with that being said, you know, I'm excited to have Tyler Lockett on my team and uh, didn't think that I'd have him on my team, but he's my flex receiver and uh, he's come up big, but man, I just think Seattle's just so solid across the board. I mean, it's just, it's hard not to take them every week. Uh, you've got DK that can go off for two touchdowns and, 100 points, and with that being said, I, I just like Seattle. Well, we got Indy here. I was just going – the Titans beat them last week. So, we got – Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Tennessee Indy, well, but impressive win by the Titans. I'll give them credit. The defense is still horrendous. Um, you said someone – does your league drug test? What? Who's dropping Tyler Lockett? What's this guy's issue? I don't know. I mean, like, I would uh, – I'll, I'll look it up. But with that being said, uh, I dropped uh, – I think I don't know who I dropped. Uh, I, man, I've got running back issues. I've got Jonathan Taylor, who is a solid up and down, and then I've got uh, oh, man, the Buffalo Bills guy, not Singletary, the other guy. 
Oh, uh, Zach Moss. Yeah, and he had a good week last week, and he didn't play week one. And, you know, it's so hard to crack the code on fantasy football. I mean, you know, like you draft the quarterback early, you draft two running backs early, you draft a bunch of wide receivers. I mean, there's so many angles that you can uh, – you can you can do in the fantasy football and it's just hard to crack that code um i I like tennessee i mean i know they look like look like trash uh against uh carolina i mean against the cardinals but with that being said you know like whenever you don't block a defensive end and he he gives you know gives up get six sacks in a game uh you're usually going to lose that game yeah, I would say that's pretty astute analysis there. I don't understand this line because, you know, Carson Wentz has got the two sprained ankles deal who's just become quite the character in the NFL. I mean, he went from league MVP to kind of the laughing stock, and I don't know how much of it is totally fair. So I don't know if he's playing this game. I wouldn't touch this game at all because I have no idea if he's going to play. The line would seem to indicate that he might because I saw Jacob Eason throw a couple passes and he was awful. Um, so I guess I'll go Tennessee, but man, I don't feel good about that. That one's that's but those who, are a couple who's of Chad Kelly with right now. What'd you say? Who's Chad Kelly with right now? Unsigned. Oh, well, uh, maybe the Colts need to uh re- rekindle that relationship. It cannot be worse than Easton, I can promise you that based off what I saw last week. Next one, we got one o'clock game the Buffalo Bills hosting the Washington football team. Buffalo's minus seven and a half here, so this has gone over a touchdown. Um, I actually, Taylor Heineke looked quite good in that Thursday night game. And in the two starts that he's had, the playoff loss to Tampa last year, he's actually looked good. And he's a crazy story. He was Jordan Talmud's backup in the uh, AAF, or was no, when the AAF, XFL, XFL. St. Louis Badhawks backup, kind of had some history with Ron Rivera, had been on the practice squad with the Panthers in the past. He brings him in, ends up as a starter in a playoff game, and actually looked quite capable. I think both of these defenses are slightly overrated. I think all the pub that Washington got last year toward down the stretch, credit to them for making the playoffs with the worst quarterback play in the league, but they played a ton of bad opponents. There's Andy Dalton in there twice, Nick Mullins against the Niners. So I think the secret's out on that one. With that said, though, I'm not 100% sold on Buffalo. And if you're going to give me a capable quarterback with Washington, I'll take the seven and a half here. I will go plus seven and a half for the Washington football team here. Well, that's a, uh, it should be, I mean, I don't know. I like Heineke. Uh, there's not going to, I'm not going to protest against you not liking Heineke. You just talked up Heineke, so I'm going to take Heineke. Okay, so you're going seven and a half as well. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, there we go. Just keeping it moving there. Interesting game here in the early slate. The New England Patriots uh, coming off a win against the very lowly New York Jets are minus three at home against Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints. Saints get just absolutely shellacked by the Panthers last week. They were down a ton of assistant coaches. Play calling wasn't great. Sean Payton kind of gave the whole that's on me thing. Saints do finally get to go home after being displaced by Hurricane Ida next week. Um, this feels like a Belichick special. I'm bullish on the Saints, but I'm going to go New England minus three here. Yeah, I mean, as much as I want to take the New Orleans Saints, uh, I mean, man, they looked really bad last week. And, you know, they looked really good first week. And, you know, Green Bay rebound uh, after that loss to, uh, to the Saints. So, 
So you're, I'm gonna, where, where are you going here? I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with New England. I'm gonna go with you. All right, there we go. Next one we got in the early game. Really interesting game. If you're gonna kind of have some sort of challenger in the AFC West to the Kansas City Chiefs, it might be the LA Chargers or it could be the Las Vegas Raiders. But we've got Chiefs and Chargers at Arrowhead. Justin Herbert heartbreaking loss last week to the Cowboys in a game that was. Really stupid. I think each team punted once in that game into 20 to 17. One how, uh, somehow, I think the Cowboys are pretty good um, as much as it is hard to admit that at times because they're frustrating to watch and their fans are annoying. Kansas City minus six and a half coming off a loss against Baltimore. This feels like the Patrick Mahomes. You know, ever since they won that Super Bowl, it's kind of have, they have a little bit of a warranted arrogance about them. They think they can just kind of step on the field and score whenever they want. Like Patrick Mahomes was down last week like 36, 35, and like didn't even bat an eye, just kind of like put his helmet on. I was like, oh, we got to go win this game now. Probably would have if it wasn't for a fumble. I'm all over the Chiefs here, minus six and a half. I think this is a big rebound, even though I like the Chargers. The Chargers might end up one and two and still be a pretty good football team. So I'm going to go Kansas City here. And I'll use yeah, my first I mean, lock. I'm all over this. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to agree with you, so I'm not going to agree with you. I'm going to go with the Chargers here. I mean, like, uh, I, I, whenever um, Baltimore scored that uh, touchdown to go ahead, you know, like Patrick, they they went straight to Patrick Mahomes. He put his hand. He's like, "Oh, okay. Well, all we got to do is score a field goal." Well, I, 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 I'm pretty sure he wasn't expecting, you know, the fumble on the first play. So, um, you know, teams make mistakes. And uh, with that being said, I think uh, I'm, I'm going to weasel my way, and I think I'm going to take the Chargers here. There we go. Plus six and a half. Two teams that we probably are going to end up vowing, refusing to bet on the rest of the year, squaring off in the uh, the Meadowlands. I guess it's not even the Meadowlands anymore. Whatever, wherever MetLife Stadium is these days. New York football giants are minus three against the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm going to do it one more time. If they screw me this time, I'm done with the Atlanta Falcons. I think they played two pretty good teams, one pretty good team, one decent team with a good defense in the Eagles. I'm going to go Atlanta plus three here because I just can't do Danny Dons. I, I just can't do him. So, sorry. I'll go with the Falcons. I'll take my money. All right. Well, I'm going to go with Danny Dons just because, uh, I mean, whatever. You know, what a terrible football game. And if you're watching this game, Seagull. Yeah, this is a tough one. That's a that's an 0-3 team. That's just not – not not a great one, so I would stay away from that, absolutely. A couple more early games to get to before we hit into the late slate. Cleveland Browns, uh, without Jarvis Landry, he's gone on IR for a couple of weeks. The injury survived against the Texans last week. That game's probably a little bit closer if Tyrod Taylor is, uh, is the quarterback, but he leaves Davis Mills currently starting for the Texans against the Panthers in a terrible Monday or Thursday night football game that I've just pulled up in the background here. Um, Cleveland is uh, where minus did, where seven. Did Davis Mills, where did Davis Mills go? Uh, that I don't know. I think he's a Stanford kid, actually. I think he's a rookie. There was some buzz about the Patriots drafting him, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if he hadn't fallen. So I'm pretty sure he is a uh, Stanford kid, but I'm not 100% positive. We do have Justin Fields starting this game for the Chicago Bears. Um, two pretty good defenses scoring off here. I don't necessarily know if I trust either quarterback, but obviously Baker Mayfield much better than Justin Fields. Andy Dalton out with an injury. Boy, this is a toss-up to me. You're getting a full touchdown. I think I'm going to go with the Bears here. I think I trust the Bears more because um, I think if there's a team that can negate Nick Chubb, I think there's 
you know, there's the Bears have as good a chance as anyone. And I, if you're putting the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands to win the game, then I kind of like your chances, particularly with the touchdown. So I think Fields gives them a spark. I'll go Bears plus seven here on the road. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I'm going to go with the Bears too. I mean, you know, that defense looked good last weekend against uh, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bungles. And, uh, I mean, you know, uh, I, I think that the Bears are, you know, sneaky good. And, uh, you know, just they got to figure out the quarterback situation. They haven't figured it out in, what, 10 years? Uh, I, well, well, I'll say eight years. Cutler's not been there that long, right? It was around there. I can't remember. I mean, it was probably – it's been at least seven, six, seven years. I mean, I could have said like 20-some-odd years with Jim McMahon and, because I'm just a Jim McMahon fan because I like Jim McMahon. But uh, I just think that defense wins that game, wins, uh, wins them games so many times. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to go with the Bears with you. Yeah, I just think – I like both teams' defenses. The quarterbacks seem almost a wash, although I'd give a little bit of a – Benefit of the doubt to Mayfield there, so I'll go Bears. Next one we got last early game. Uh, we didn't pick Detroit. Uh, Detroit Baltimore. That game's off the board right now because the bar missed practice today. Apparently had like diarrhea or the stomach bug or some something like that. Uh, no, some shit. No pun intended. So we will skip that one. Um, we have Pittsburgh minus three at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think the Bengals are good, but my God, the Steelers can't run the ball, and Big Ben looks done. And he's hurt. Apparently, he's got a pec injury. I they, I hate all of these lines, but I guess I'll go Pittsburgh minus three because I think Tomlin's a much better coach than Zach Taylor. But it wouldn't stun me if the Bengals came in and blew the doors off him. I think Big Ben's done. And as a Najee Harris fantasy owner, it's frustrating as hell because they can't block for him. So I'm going to go – I'll go Steelers here, but I don't feel great about it. I, I would – I would rather feel very comfortable taking the under, but I'm going to go with the Bengals here. Uh, I mean, I just think that, you know, Joe Burrow is a winner and uh, he's got some enough weapons uh, on the outside and, you know, with Mixon running the ball. I mean, I just think they're a little bit better across the board. You know, like I'm not taking away the uh, angle that you're taking with uh, Tomlin versus Taylor, but uh, I mean, you know, Coach Taylor coached uh, a couple, uh, couple of so, uh, not good teams in uh, East Dillon and West Dillon. Uh, uh, got to got to give Coach Taylor some t- uh, some credit over there and and uh, Cincinnati Bengal country. Here we go. It's a nice little Friday night lights reference worked in. Over under is forty three for those curious out there. I think that's actually probably the much smarter play. Heading into the late slate here, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr's look about statistically like the best quarterback in the NFL through two games. I've always been higher on card than most people have, or I would say a lot of people have. I always thought he's pretty good. Um, definitely not perfect. Definitely turnover prone in some pretty op- inopportune times, but he's definitely a suitable professional quarterback. You know, that football Mendoza line with quarterbacks you can and cannot win a Super Bowl with, kind of the Andy Dalton line, I would say. I think he's on the correct side of that. I think you can win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. I'm not predicting the Raiders to do so. I just think he's good enough caliber. They're minus four at home with a chance to go three and zero against the Miami Dolphins without Tua. Jacoby Brissett was starting. He looked awful in relief last week. That entire Dolphins defense looked abysmal. Maybe this is too good to be true, but I'm using my second lock on the Raiders minus four. I think they blow them out again. Probably a too good to be true type of game. But uh, man, the Dolphins looked bad last week. And Gruden yeah, always lets down in this spot. But whatever. Yeah, when it's too good to be, too, 
too good to be true, we're going to take it. So uh, I'm with you on it. I like the the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, they played, you know, two really solid teams, and uh, you know, they're two and up. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting them to go to Pittsburgh last weekend, and uh, they went to Pittsburgh last weekend and, and won a game. So uh, I, I can't, you know, it just seems like, uh, you know, Derek Carr is just, you know, uh, just the plain Jane quarterback that gets it done and doesn't make mistakes. And uh, I think Gruden's doing a really good job with the, with the, uh, with the, with the club. So I'm going to go with the Raiders too with you. I like it. And we're going to lock it up. There we go. I believe that was your first lock of the day on the NFL. Disgusting game here. Denver Broncos hosting the lowly New York Jets. Poor Zach Wilson. One, he's not throwing it well. He's throwing it to the other team. He doesn't have a left tackle. I'm not sure about this coaching staff. They just seem like they are bound for 2-15 and 15 this year. It's minus 10.5, though. This is an absolute stay away, in my opinion. Um, Broncos defense, though, I think is too good. I think they'll force a couple more turnovers. Whatever, I'll lay the ten and a half, even though I hate doing that in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's tough to pull double digits, uh, pull the trigger on a uh, bet with double digits in the NFL because, you know, these guys are professional athletes and they're getting paid. So, with that being said, I, I just think Denver's just too good. I, I think it's going to be 31-10, just something ridiculous. And, uh, you know, just uh, the – Jets are going to see some better days, but uh, I just don't think it's going to be this weekend. Two more really marquee 325 games, which are going to be awesome. Uh, the first one we got, the Rams are hosting Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks go to New England the next week, which will be kind of a fascinating game for quite a few reasons. But we have got the L.A. Rams plus one and a half at home against the Tampa Bay Bucks, And I got to tell you, I'm hammering the Rams here. I think both these teams are good, but if you're giving me the home team and points, and I think the more complete defense, I think Tampa has the better defensive line. But I think uh, overall, obviously, you got Aaron Donald with the Rams. But I just think overall better pass rushers. But I think the better defense overall is probably the Rams. Um, the Bucks secondaries look suspect. Cooper Cup and Jared Goff kind of quickly – excuse me, Matthew Stafford kind of quickly become the hottest combo in the NFL. I'm locking the Rams plus one and a half here. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, I, I like the Rams here. I just, uh, you know, I drafted uh, Stafford and Cooper Cup on a fantasy league this year, and uh, they've been on fire. I just think that, you know, Stafford's a good quarterback. He's got plenty of talent. He just maybe needed to get out of the the Detroit uh, dungeon. So, with that being said, you know, I think he should have been jumping for joy when it was an even trade for him and golf. And uh, he's got a lot of receivers that he can throw with. Uh, he really didn't have receivers that he could throw to in Detroit. So, with that being said, uh, I think that his career has been rejuvenated. And, I mean, why not uh, take a big win right here against uh, against Tampa Bay and the defending Super Bowl champs? Last Sunday afternoon game, we have a absolute must-win kitchen sink, type, kitchen sink type of game for the Minnesota Vikings. 0-2, crushing defeat last week at they, in a game they played really well in. At Arizona, Kirk Cousins looks as, looked as good as you'll ever see Kirk Cousins look. They're actually taking shots down the field. They moved the ball pretty well. And their kicker, who had been pretty much nails throughout his short tenure there over the last year and a half, pushes a field goal late to lose it. They are plus one and a half at home against the one and one Seahawks, who really probably felt like they let one get away against the Tennessee Titans last week. 
I can't believe I'm doing this and I'm going to regret it, but I think Minnesota is too talented to start 0-3, and, and I'm going to go with the Vikings really against all logic here. Is Dalvin Cook playing? Uh, did, uh, did he have a little injury bug? I believe he's in line to play. Man, that should, it should be a really good game. Uh, I, uh, I know you're on Minnesota, and I know you don't think Minnesota's going to go 0-3, but I just think Seattle's just too good across the board. Uh, um, I, I mean, they lost the game they shouldn't have won last weekend, but with that being said, uh, you know, they, they you win games that you're not supposed to win, and I think this is a game that they shouldn't win, but they will win. So I'm going to go Seattle here. I think you're on the smarter side of that for sure. I wouldn't be shocked if, if, if they obviously at all, if Seattle won. I think this is about as desperate of a week three game as you're going to see in the NFL. I just given the, I've given the Vikings the benefit of the doubt because, man, if you start 0 3 with the Packers looking competent again, you're just kind of toast. So um, that's going to be maybe the game of the afternoon, even though it's going to be kind of a, uh, hold on to your butts type of game. Sunday night game, we got a great one. We got San Francisco minus three and a half against the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers returning to the Bay Area. Um, San Francisco, knock on wood, I know they have already very, very injured at running back, but it doesn't seem to matter. Plug in whoever in that Kyle Shanahan running game uh, scheme and pretty much anyone can kind of go for 1,200 yards and, you know, four yards before you're touched off contact. They look like the more like the Super Bowl team of 2019. Um, I'm not buying the Packers, even though they beat the hell out of the, the uh, Jared Goff and the Lions last week. That game was 17, 14 lines at half. Goff's tiny hands doesn't fumble it in the rain a couple times. It's actually close in the fourth quarter. Um, I am all over San Francisco here, and I'll probably lock it at minus three and a half. I think they're a much more complete team than Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, like, the what was that, the guy that had the $25-16 game parlay and had uh, lines, money line. Uh, I saw that. I saw he was allowed to cash out at what uh, one hundred thirty-three thousand. Though, so congrats to him. Yeah, like just a casual one hundred thirty-three thousand. You know, no big deal. On a twenty-five free twenty-five dollar bet. You know, we'll take that. Yeah, I can use uh, that cash. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I agree. Uh, everybody needs some good cash in this world. Um, I- I'm going to go against you on this. Uh, I mean, you know, I- I- I'm going to take the other side. That should be a barn burner of a game, and that'll kind of prove, I guess, if Green Bay is quote-unquote for real in the sense that, like, Rodgers kind of has one more FU run in him or if he's just going to kind of do this whole song and dance cat and mouse game through the entire season. So I'm fascinated with that one. Cap it off the week, Monday night game, Eagles, uh, Cowboys. Should be another good one. Not really sure what I think of Jalen Hurts as a quarterback yet. They're traveling to Arlington to take on the Cowboys. It is Philadelphia plus three and a half against the Dallas Cowboys. So Dallas minus three and a half at home. Dallas coming off a huge win last week against the Chargers at in L.A. Excuse me. Felt like a home game with the amount of Cowboys fans that were there. I don't know what to make of the Eagles. I think they're pretty good defensively. I'm not sure what I think of Jalen Hurts. I definitely think the Eagles are much better coached. This is a tough one, but I think I'm going to go with the Eagles. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt here. I'll go come down to it. Better quarterback in turn, uh, excuse me, Dak is the better quarterback, but I'm not sure by how much. And the Eagles are much better coach. So, whatever, I'll go Eagles plus three and a half. Yeah, I mean, I think a field goal just kind of determines this game. Uh, hopefully, uh, the Eagles are kicking a field goal to win the game. And if the uh, Cowboys are kicking a field goal to win the game, we've got the lucky hook to, uh, to bail us out. So, uh, let's go with the Eagles here. 
Absolutely. Well, that is week three of the NFL in the books. It's already going by quick. We're through three weeks of this. And uh, I appreciate the time as always. What's uh, before we get out of here? What's going on at the store? Oh, I mean, we just got done, you know, stocking up the store and we got plenty of fresh sausages and seafood and everything like that. I was going to drop a, a quick question on you. Uh, who do you like in the Ryder Cup this weekend? Dude, I think that I want to say like, on paper, really the good. USA I, actually has more talent than they have in the last two Ryder Cups. But Europe just seems to embrace the whole team aspect more. I mean, Brooks Kepka's complaining about his nap schedule and the Ryder Cup not being conducive to that. Our Team USA account put out a video of just Brooks and Bryson talking to each other. Meanwhile, Ian Poulter is in his 10,000th Ryder Cup ready to kick the shit out of anyone he faces. I think Europe well, wins, but good, I'll be rooting hard some, against it. There's some really good matchups first day. I think uh, McElroy and Poulter uh, are teamed up. Rom and Sergio are teamed up. Uh, I don't, I forgot who Westwood, but I was uh, at the library. Uh, I had a book in front of me and I was trying to read the book and they were doing the opening ceremonies of the Ryder cup. And it's just, uh, hard to not, you know, keep your eyes on that Ryder cup because, you know, it's just really cool. It's a cool setup. You know, uh, it's kind of like the, you know, the only time where they go head to head to each other. And I don't know, man, I just think those Europeans are just so solid across the board to where, you know, you're uh, whenever you're a kid, you're lining up a 15 foot putt, you know, not to win the Masters to cleanse, clinch the Ryder Cup, you know. So uh, I, I just think the 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 Euros just, you know, lift for it a little bit harder. And I just hate to go against the, the, the Americans here, but I think it's going to be really good because plus whistling straights kind of sh- sets up European ish like course, you know, it's uh it's on the water. It's kind of that European style. I think it's going to be a good – I think it's going to be a really good Ryder Cup. I'm looking forward to watching. I hope I'm wrong. So, we will uh, we will certainly rehash that next week. But uh, appreciate the time, dude. What we got going on at LB's heading into the bye week? Well, we've got plenty of sausages that we just got done doing. I'm cutting some fresh uh, ribeyes and fillets in the morning. You know, it's, uh, it's an open week, so uh, we're expecting uh, to be busy Saturday. Uh, normally, uh, whenever there's a football game and if it's at six o'clock, we're 10 to three, uh, we're going to be open all day on Saturday. So, uh, you know, just grinding it out this weekend and just, uh, can't wait for, uh, next weekend when, uh, the Rebels play Alabama and Tuscaloosa and, uh, trying not to get excited about it. Cause I think the Rebs got a really good shot this year and, uh, the team's playing really good and it's just, uh, uh, it's hard to go to Tuscaloosa and get a win though. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, Rippy Wright Special. Uh, subscribe to rippywrights.substack.com. 20, or excuse me, 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Appreciate the time, dude. We'll hire you next week. As always, man, y'all have a great weekend, and uh, we'll be here next weekend. All right, that's our show. Super long podcast today. I uh, hope if you made it this far, thank you for making it to the end, um, and have a great and have safe and happy weekend. Weldon and I will be back at it on Sunday. A lot of uh, probably reaction from the weekend, kicking it forward with Alabama. Probably get into some Alabama recruiting stuff and kind of how they become the giant they become because I'm fascinated to kind of pick Weldon's brain on that. So Weldon pod on Sunday and then back to our normal game week routine. We'll get into a lot of Alabama, I guess, more schematic personnel stuff. 
on Wednesday. And then of course, same old Friday show. So appreciate you making this far. Everybody have a great weekend and we will talk to you on Sunday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.